and, morning, and, good afternoon, you know, have you and good evening, wherever you may be. Thank you for joining us. Another episode of Catching Up with Jacob. So many lively conversations going on. So uh, you should hear what happens behind the scenes. So we welcome everybody in the name of the Lord. Thank you for joining us. Yes. Here we are today. Jacob Prash. How you doing, Jacob? I'm well in Jesus. Not too well, but I'm well in him. Praise God. <laughs> yeah. Always welcome. And uh, we have uh, a very special guest, all the way from Israel. Andy, how you doing? Oh, brother? me. Yeah. That... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, Hanukkah uh, greetings from Israel. I'm, I'm Andy. I live in the northern Galilee. Um, well, it's nice and still nice and warm here. Oh, that's and nice. I'm still breathing, thankfully. Well, you can tell us a little bit of what's going on there a little bit later, but uh, welcome and uh, you know, you're back. So I, I guess we'd like yeah. to, to bring you back. Or I guess you yeah, like you're, either that or you're desperate for somebody to fill in the gap, you know. <laughs> well, I'm glad you, uh, you you accepted us. So that means you probably like us. So that's good. Uh, and uh, down the street, not too far from my house, Jay, how you doing, Jay? Glad to be home. I'll say that again. And uh, hello, everybody. All right. Praise the Lord. And uh, down under, Davey, how's Australia? How's, uh, how's our brothers there, brothers and sisters from Australia? How are they doing there? Yeah, doing good. Thanks, Marco. Everyone's still pretty encouraged by the meetings. I've been... I want to thank you, uh, thank the people too who have been sending in uh, reports too um, from the uh, about the meeting. So really appreciate the feedback, and um, yeah, um, we've got a bit of a meeting here tomorrow. So yeah, we're all, we're all doing well, and the sound right. is going. We're getting the, sound reports, the sounds back up. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Well, on the second day of Hanukkah, we're getting together here. So it's Friday, December eighth, and uh, Jacob Prashed, uh just wanted to go over to you. You got a couple of things uh, before we talk about Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. You have a couple of prayer requests, burdens on your heart. Uh, I want everybody to hear it, and uh, so people can join us uh, in, in not only in your request but in prayer in, in their in their in their lives regarding this. So, just want to turn it over to you. Okay. Well, again, as you know, I've been recently in India, and while we were in India, we opened the new church that we built. The church existed before, but it needed a meeting place. You can't meet in homes in India too easily because there's too many people getting saved and the homes are too small, not to mention not acting, yeah. et cetera. So we built a, a, a wonderful building with the help of the Lord called Moriel Hordeb Church uh, on the border of Pakistan and India in the Punjab. We're like halfway between um, Amrita, the holy city of the of the Sikhs, and Lahore, Pakistan. But we're on, on, on the border, almost right on the border. And it's an area where there's a lot of persecution. Obviously, the Muslims don't like us. The radical Hindus don't like us. But there's a particular problem with radical Sikhs. There was opposition when we opened the church when I was there with Mark Jackson and his wife and and, and Pastor Samuel from our orphanage in Andhra Pradesh and also from Pastor Vijay, who pastors the church in uh, Punjab. But um, it was not violent. Now it's still not violent, but instead there's police harassment. Um, wanting to see financial records and wanting to see all kinds of things because, or in response to complaints made by the radical Sikh community. So please pray for Pastor Vijay and pray for Moriel's work in India. The orphanage is doing very well by God's grace. We're going to expand it, build three more stories up to take more children. And also the church, the opening of the church was was indeed blessed of the Lord. You can watch it on the Moria website on the India missions page. 
Um, it's posted there. And you'll see the church. You'll see pastor. You'll see the opening. So pray for India. Something else. Um, I used to preach the gospel regularly at Speaker's Corner when I lived in London. When I was in seminary and after that, and uh, I preached to Jews, to Catholics, and to Muslims. Um, I was replaced with the Muslims by somebody who's a lot more qualified than I am. I speak of Jay Smith, but also a young Turkish woman who was a Muslim who got saved named Hatun Tash. She's had a terrible time. She was stabbed in the face. She's been unjustly arrested by, and harassed by the police due to political pressure from the Muslims, a lot of things, but she's gone missing. Some people say she's well. Other people say they don't know. We've not gotten anything official, either from her ministry or from any ministry we know who's associated with her, such as Jay Smith or Dr. David Wood. So until we get something official from an official source, she's still missing. And we're praying for Hatun Tash. Please pray for Hatun Tash. Um, she's a wonderful sister and a wonderful evangelist. You know, I know a lot of people who know her. I may have met her, but I don't know her well, if I know her at all. But I know her by reputation, and I know what she does. And we're very, very concerned here here in Britain. Um, so please keep Hatun in prayer. Finally, to oh, our Jewish sorry, friend. Jacob, can I just ask you, David Wood, you're talking about Acts 17 apologetics, yes, aren't you? That correct. David Wood, yeah. Oh. Yes, yes, yes. Acts 17 minutes. The apologist is to Islam. Um, yeah. Also to our Jewish friends globally and in Israel, we wish you a very happy Hanukkah. It is our prayer and our hope that the same God who gave the people of Israel victory over the Syrian Seleucids, um, Syrian Greeks, will also give them victory today over Hamas and Hezbollah. This is our prayer for the Jewish people at this particular time. He who keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Amen. Any idea? I wanted to ask you, how do you guys celebrate uh, Hanukkah there? Do you guys have some latkes and stuff like that? Or how do you guys do it? Well, well, no, Bev's diabetic, so we don't... Oh, okay, can't do that. Uh, no, no she's you? had to lay off all that stuff. All right, yeah. you know, um, so... No we, latkes we, and uh, no soup on the oat. <laughs> yeah, no, we do, we we really, no, they're, they're lethal for Bev, those things. Oh, man. You know, yeah, she was, you know, so uh, her A1Cs are too high at the moment as well, so... Or at least up in Northern Galley, how do people celebrate it? What do they do? I mean, they're just uh, <clears throat> culturally. To, to be honest, actually, it's not as, it's not as, well, here, I, I've not seen an awful, uh, around town, there's not been much going on, to be honest. I mean, I've, you've seen the, the stuff going up, the donuts in the shops and the yes. uh, things, but I've not actually seen a lot of it, to be, really, it's, um, I didn't know it was until Bev told me yesterday. I had no idea because <laughs> you know, I mean this this town is it's got it's very Russian and they're not as bothered about it as the uh, 
interesting. You know, is, I mean, is it because of maybe the conditions of, of just the, 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 what's going on in Israel now with the war? I think also people's minds Ever. are distracted yeah. a little bit, but you do see now. But you you are seeing some some posters and things with a more theme that way, aimed also at the current situation vis-a-vis uh, Hamas and the the Gaza as well. But it's not. I don't think it's. It doesn't. At least from what I can see, it's not as big. Well, certainly not here in Naharia as it. As you might see Hanukkah in the UK or the US. Yeah, I think it's, it's less less emphasized. Yeah, yeah. It's more emphasized in Jerusalem, obviously. Jerusalem. Yeah. Yes, and and if you're like Lubavitch or something like that, you know, there may be uh, some of the author, the really orthodox would be pushing it more. But Naharia isn't really very from. Uh, not very. It's not very orthodox. There's so many Russians here. Yeah. That um, you, you could you could actually walk down the street and live a you could live a complete life here without speaking a word of Hebrew probably if you were Russian you just speak yeah. Russian all the time there's a big Russian subculture here yeah it's there becoming like that with speaking French as well oh, yes <laughs> we have also French here and Spanish a lot of Hispanics in Naharia and um, yes. a growing French population a lot of French saw the writing on the wall after that yeah. incident where they murdered that cartoonist, the Hebdo incident, the Charlie Hebdo incident. Charlie Hebdo, that's they, right. They started to think it was time to go, you know. That's fascinating stuff, man. Thank you so much. To Israel about something in his position when he's never even acknowledged what he did himself. The yeah. Israelis were fighting in self-defense. They were attacked. Um, when when Japan invaded China, they, they were not fighting in self-defense. They were just fighting for the sake of Japanese imperialism under the guise of Shintoism. Um, I just find it very hypocritical, very hypocritical. It's not like they're a nation that's acknowledged their own culpability historically the way that Germany did. They've never done that. Very interesting. Hey, did you hear that uh, Tulsi Gabbard had posted something on her uh, uh, Twitter, I believe, uh, X is called now, that, uh, you know, warning the U.S. of helping Japan so much because, hey, Japan once turned on us and uh, we have to be careful that we are, we don't arm somebody else that can eventually in the future harm us again. And the Dems just went crazy against this uh, congresswoman from Hawaii. I thought it was, I thought it was really interesting. Hey, Jacob, uh, those who have died recently, those who have died recently and uh, just, it was yesterday, I believe it was Sandra Day O'Connor's turn. Uh, no, was, that was about a week ago. Was it about we, a week ago? Yeah, we did make a statement on um, RTN concerning it. It just didn't fit time-wise with Moriel TV. But, I mean, she was the commensurate wicked woman. She was a very, very evil woman, a very evil woman. And she was emblematic of the hypocrisy of the Republican Party and of the Reagan administration. Reagan ran on a pro-life platform to cultivate the evangelical vote, even the conservative pro-life Catholic vote. Um and, and and the Orthodox Jewish vote, which is pro-life. He, he ran on that platform. And the first thing he did was appoint a Supreme Court justice who has a pro-abortion voting record. On the case of Casey versus Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, she had the deciding vote. And she voted with the abortion lobby. Alan Dershowitz said she was always the pivotal vote. She had similar votes on things like affirmative action. But worst of all was... She wrote the court's decision ordering the Ten Commandments out of the Judicial Building in Alabama. 
Well, now she knows the Supreme Court is not the supreme being. She's standing in the real Supreme Court before the real chief justice, and she's not going to have much of a case to argue in her own defense. Now she's giving account. She was a wicked, wicked woman, and her appointment was an absolute betrayal of, of, of the Christians and conservatives and pro-life voters who supported Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan had a affinity for, for wickedness with women. He, he liked wickedness with women. His wife was a practicing witch. She was advising him more than any other presidential wife, more than any first lady since Eleanor Roosevelt um, on how to run the country. When Reagan gave his famous speech saying that trees, it's well known, are responsible for 85% of pollution, she began standing on back of him to stop him from making bumbling mistakes. He was not as far gone as Biden, but he was capable of saying some ridiculous things and reliant on his wife. Well, she was having astrologers. She was having fortune tellers. She was having Gene Dixon in the White House getting advice mm -hmm. to give her husband how to run the country based on witchcraft and the occult. This was Ronald Reagan. The naivety of Christians um, thinking that voting for a Republican like Reagan or even, or even Donald Trump is the Christian vote or the Christian thing to do. Now, I'm not denying that Donald Trump did some good things and he was more sympathetic to Christians than other people, particularly with, with the persecution of, of Christians and also moving the embassy to Jerusalem. I'm not denying that. But, but to equate him as some kind of a Christian figure, this is just absurdity. It's, a, mm. it's, a, it's as absurd on one hand when he had the, the homosexual and lesbian gala with Ricky Lake at uh, Mar-a-Lago. Uh, this is the man that Christians are saying is, is God's man. Now, look, I voted for him twice, and I pray for him. But I uh, don't think that he's God's man. And I certainly didn't think Ronald Reagan was God's man. We complain now about what Biden is doing, giving all this money to Iran in the spirit and continuation of the policies of Barack Obama. Giving, you know, we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars overall from Obama and Biden together to Iran, the world's number one sponsor of terror, and the Joe Biden administration being the number one sponsor of, of Iran. Um, I talk about that. Let's remember. Ronald Reagan gave weapons to terrorist Iran. He armed terrorist Iran. And when he was caught, he pleaded senility, which may have been a half-truth. But that's what he did. When I see Sandra Day O'Connor, it just testifies to me how naive, gullible, and undiscerning Christians are. We need to pray for whoever gets elected. But to put our hope on a political candidate that's going to appoint somebody who's going to be yeah. for us. Now... <clears throat> Donald Trump, in fairness, did appoint constructionist conservatives to the, to the Supreme Court and to the federal court system. He absolutely did do that, and he made something of a difference. I have to salute him for that, but I do not salute Ronald Reagan for anything. He appointed this wicked woman. She was a wicked, wicked daughter of the devil. She ordered the Ten Commandments out of the judicial building. She had the deciding vote and the biggest abortion case before the Supreme Court since Roe v. Wade, and she went with abortion. She did a lot of things like that. She was a terrible, terrible woman. And now she is giving account. That's where she is. The Supreme Court is not the supreme being, as she has found out. 
Yeah, I was reading about her bio. She did die on the first, Jacob. She write about the, about the first. I just I just ran into her news. Uh, that's how much uh, it was that important, I guess, for me. Uh, but it was she was really into a lot of rulings, including uh, the yes. Bush Gore, the Bush Gore, and back yes. in two thousand, the case. I was I was really interesting. And her replacement, Alito, basically was the one that overturned the decision of Roe v. So irony of ironies. But uh, the other guy that died or the other person that died just a couple of days before her was Kissinger. We touched on it a little bit earlier and I pulled up some interesting facts about Kissinger. And uh, I think some people on the chat, Jacob, wanted to know uh, if they haven't heard your thoughts on Kissinger. You mentioned it last week, but his legacy of blood, Cambodia, East Timor, Chile, Bangladesh, Argentina, Vietnam, of course, Laos, uh, giving us the petrodollar, taking the the the, uh, the dollar off the the gold backing. I mean, he is quite a progressive destructionist. Uh, it was a time bomb, of course, but he did a lot of this, obviously, under um, when he served under Nixon. Uh, but he was still very much a counselor to like the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of what we see today is Kissinger's master plan, I guess you would say, of depopulation, controlling of governments and things like that. Any thoughts on that, Jacob? Kissinger is a Republican version of Soros. Soros being a Democrat version, Kissinger being the Republican version. Both Jewish Holocaust survivors, both come as refugees to the United States. Both were an- both were enemies of America. I often remember, and I'll never forget in my life, when Americans were dying in Vietnam, he opened the door with Nixon to trade with China and with detente with Russia while they were supplying the North Vietnamese with the wherewithal and the hardware to kill Americans. He was increasing trade with them. That man sold America down the river. He was also, like Soros, a Jew who was no Jew. Um, he really wasn't. He pressured Israel unjustly in the aftermath of the of the 1973 um, Yom Kippur War. Um, he forced Israel to give up strategic emplacements on Mount Hermon, Mount Hermon, on the Golan Heights, and various other things. He was no friend of the Jews. He was no friend of Israel. He is very much a Jew in the same vein as Soros. Only one is a Democrat leaning and one was Republican. That's the only thing. That is the only thing. Yeah, if you want to know more about Kissinger and his, uh, of course, his adventures, uh, Cambodia, 500,000 killed because of him. He's Timor, 200,000. In Chile, they backed the dictator. Uh, Argentina. Yeah. Yeah. The dirty war. I I always said at that time, I was saying, this is a long time ago now, that if the United States is so against communism spreading in Latin America, they should stop driving people to it. (laughs) literally backed hunter after hunter after hunter yeah the dirty wars yeah the dirty wars laos vietnam he was Uh, he was not a good man yeah uh jacob i was i want to ask you this and also to andy what do you think of uh, the deputy prime minister in the uk oliver dowden talking about uh stock up on candles batteries and uh uh, and, and things like that because of the grid down situation the, the the concern for a hack and the digital communication and lights I mean, coming from a deputy prime minister sounds a little bit more alarming than just the average person on a blog. It's going to be like Edwina Curry, when she was the she's an awful woman. But she I saw her once on a on a train. She was an awful woman. She said mm-hmm. the same thing about um a, a, about a virus, you know, and don't <laughs> eat eggs and all this kind of stuff. And oh, just, remember that? Yeah, 
Yeah. They called well, it egg wiener for months after that. Yeah, that's they, right. Uh, well, I, I would see him very much in that vein. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a real threat to the grid, but that's oh, not yeah. peculiar to Britain. It's, it's, look, Chuck Mister went overboard with the electromagnetic pulse stuff, but it's still true. It's still yeah. true. Grids are vulnerable unless they're put underground and well insulated, and they're not. So it, it's definitely true. The question is, is there some reason to believe that there's an imminent attack being threatened? Or that with a cyber attack, they can close down the grid. That's that's the issue. You know, preparedness is always good, in my opinion. But, you know, the <clears> time <throat> of the public, public statement like that is also very interesting with all the hacking and all the cyber attacks that banks have been going through. Yes. Ability companies have been going through. And, of course, the WEF, uh, it, it's been very much open about yes. cyber polygon and making, you know, making the world aware that the next big event in the world is going to be a cyber attack. Now, whether people believe it or not, that's up to them. But the reality of it is they said it. So I, I just thought it was interesting. Well, the timing. Uh, you know, uh, if if the UK keeps going down this route of renewable energy, they won't need to cyber hack the, the, the national grid to, to collapse. It'll collapse <laughs> of its own accord. Yeah, correct. Really. Correct. You know, you don't need any help to make it collapse. They're working towards that anyway. Yeah. Uh, Jacob, real quick, uh, some of our, our, our viewers uh, have informed us that Hatun Tash is safe. We can't confirm it, although somebody has said that Jay Smith has confirmed it, but we can't we can't find that. So uh No, I'm unable to verify it. I've been talking to a lot of people that yeah. we cannot verify it. Yeah. So that's that's the latest. That's the latest. That's no, the latest. No confirmation. Yeah. So uh, you know, for whatever it's worth, people are saying that some reliable information that she is safe, but we can't confirm it just yet. So Thank you for those who are providing that information. We're, we're still looking to see how we can uh, how we can confirm it. We appreciate that, though. So much prayer, much prayer. I remember the fact that there's a missing persons report with the police. Yeah, that speaks volumes in itself. Yeah, the uh, I remember no, she was when, not missing. Why is there a missing persons report? Yeah, I remember when she was uh, well. She was almost killed. She was stabbed. She has a uh, she has a wound because of a stabbing that happened when she was in uh, in Speaker's Corner. So. Uh, very brave. I think she was in California maybe a couple of years ago, maybe last year she was here speaking at a, 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 a apologetics conference. So uh, very brave, very brave woman. And we definitely appreciate your prayers. Uh, all right, Jacob, let's catch up. You know, we obviously been talking a couple of issues here, uh, but the anti-Semitism in universities is a huge, huge topic here. And that is the, the a committee to investigate these colleges, universities after they showed up to Congress this week. It is clear that these presidents of these universities have no interest in protecting any Jewish person that goes to that school and allowing an open promotion of genocide against the Jews under free speech, they say. Or we need the right context about <clears throat> the chance from the river to the sea. So uh, I'll leave it up to you and then to Andy to comment on it because there are no problems for Jewish genocide in the universities in the United States. If in the name of free speech, you began attacking Islam and saying that what's called radical Islam is just Islam and giving evidence from the Quran to prove it, then there'd be another standard. You're an Islamophobe. We have to close you down. Or if you began speaking about even the clinical and scientific genetic realities of of, uh, transgenderism, they'd close you down. Um, there's, There's always two standards. If you notice, the University of Pennsylvania, Harvard, yeah. what was yeah. the third one? Was it Yale? Um, 
Uh, MIT. MIT. Notice, radical female feminist presidents who were appointed because of their feminism and because of their gender, not because of the qualification. I believe that. Yeah. And notice the hypocritical double talk coming out of their mouths. Um, yeah. It, it was would, pathetic. It was begin to look, Would you begin to look at the rapes that took place of the victim? There was gang rapes of abducted Israeli women. And when <laughs> her name Jepal, the, the congresswoman um, from the, the squad, she said, well, that's just that's just the way it, it goes in wars. It, oh, yeah, I, I have that clip. I have the audio. Why, would these, people not, why would these women not be up in arms about it if they were not hypocrites? Why would they not be up in arms about the raping of women if they were real feminists? What they are are opportunists, liars, and hypocrites. That's exactly what they are. The best thing that can happen, we have to have a Congress that will stop funding these universities until there's reform. Second thing, the Alumnus Association has to stop giving them money and demand resignations, not just firings of these professors and presidents, but firing of the trustees for not doing anything about it. Mm. The only way to stop them is cut off the money. That's the only way. I mean, we're talking about colleges that at one time were considered prestigious, <clears throat> uh, but it's it completely moral, bankrupt, and pathetic. The way they answer that, anybody watching that would be able to tell, I'm not sending my kids. I don't want to ruin them by sending them to MIT. Andy, any thoughts on that? Yeah, well... Um... You know, one of the things, did you notice one of the, I can't remember which, it was the blonde woman. I don't know which university she was president of, but I think that was, uh, when she was Sally. being questioned, she yeah. was smirking. Yeah. This horrible smirk that she had on her face. You know, it the fact that they could even evil. think say that in front of Congress just shows how emboldened they are. But, yeah, you know, the this kind of the thing, it's, it's less, it's less, prevalent at least open in the uk but you can see even cambridge and oxford they have this stuff uh this kind of culture um in universities not just cambridge and oxford either but it's been going on harassment of jewish students have been going on for a long time in the uk yes you know and in, in universities it's not just um it's not just the u.s when I was in Australia, uh, David, what's the, what's the one in Sydney? What's that? The, the, the University of Sydney. They, we met some of them there. Went to that school, but they were saying that there were also protests within the the, the the University of Sydney. I think it's actually just called the University of Sydney. I can double check for you if you like. Yeah. I thought it was like maybe South Wales. I, don't, I forget the name of it, but also the colleges there, also universities in Australia. Uh, maybe not as rampant as here, obviously sm smaller. But it, it just seems to be on the kids, the like young kids from the river to the sea. They couldn't stop it because they said it's, it depends on the context. Well, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That's the eradication of Jews, uh, Jewish. You people. know, and blame the State Department and blame Joe Obama for giving visas to these radical Islamic students coming to the United States and Britain in, in Britain to study, to, to give them student visas. And many of them will stay here beyond their studies. Why give these people visas? Their student visas should be canceled. Um, that is another aspect of what's happening. There is something of a kickback. There is something of a kickback. I'm seeing a kickback 
a bit in Italy with Miss Maloney. I'm seeing a kickback in, in Holland with good fielders. I'm seeing a kickback in Argentina. I hope that kickback, I pray to God that kickback comes to the USA, to Britain, and to Canada, and to Australia. I really, really do. It's about time. Yeah, I hope they kick those presidents out of their job because it, 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 for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, this is, again, promoted. We talked about Chuck Schumer last week, Jacob, where in the past, Chuck Schumer would promote all this, you know, pro-Muslim, BLM, Antifa. Yeah. Now it's come home to roost. Now they don't like it, of course. But now this is, again, part and parcel of what I believe the Democratic Party have will have for America in 2024. The, the complete hell that is about to unleash against anybody that speaks out for Israel, for the Jewish people, as a conservative, for Trump, as a Christian. It will be a hellish experience, in my opinion, leading up to November 2024. I think you're absolutely correct. They're desperate. Um, the situation is, is very much <clears throat> very much one like this, where radicalism is increasing. But two thirds, two thirds, these go between 63 and 67 percent. Overall, two thirds of Democrats are not pro Israel. Oh, man. Um, it's about 67 percent of minorities in the Democratic Party. It's about 64 percent of students, um, roughly, and about 63 percent of, of, of others. Um, they're, they're just not. You've, you've got two kinds of Jews I'm thinking about this Hanukkah, the morons and the menlauses. The menlauses, as, as I've said before, are the Benedict Arnolds of, of, of Judaism. Menlaus was a Jew who cooperated with Antiochus Epiphanes against the Jewish people in the epic of Hanukkah, the first Hanukkah. He was a collaborator. Well, mm. Chuck Schumer is a collaborator. Now mm. he's beginning to complain, but he was a collaborator. De yeah. Debbie Wasserman Schultz is another collaborator. Um, Blumenthal is another collaborator. These are the menlauses. They betrayed not only the interests of America, but of their Jewish constituency. The others, others are the morons. A man who I often agree with, even though I'm ideologically different than he is, is beginning to realize he's been spelling his name wrong. Alan... <laughs> you know... Uh, Alan Dershowitz has realized he's been spelling his name wrong. He should be spelling it Alan Jerkowitz. Oh. At, least, at least he had the integrity to admit that he was bamboozled by Obama and that Obama's a liar. He's waking up and realizing, at least he's telling the truth, that he's been very foolish, very naive, very undiscerning. Now, again, to a degree, to a degree, I respect Mr. Dershowitz, and I often agree with him, even though ideologically we'd be in different camps on fundamental issues like abortion and so forth. Nonetheless, at least he realizes it. You've got a betrayal of the Jewish people from within that I've been talking about for years. And if there's any menlaus now, if there's a menlaus <laughs> who was assassinated by the Maccabees, the menlaus of this present time in history would be Chuck Schumer, magna cum laude. He is a menlaus. Yeah, Jacob, you. Re I remember you mentioned when uh, eighty-two percent of the Jewish vote in America voted for Barack Obama. Yeah, was it was it seventy-eight percent? Yeah, it, it might have gone down recently, but I don't. It's still pretty high. 
that would still vote for anybody with a D next to it, you know, and I, I think they've just been conditioned to do that. But honestly, I obviously would, would, would challenge them. I said, this is the party that promotes Islam, that promotes Hamas, the killing of Jews, the raping of Jewish women. Yeah. You would still go along with it? I mean, how, how long are you going to put up with this stuff? Hey, as I've always said, the three kinds of people most bamboozled by the Democratic Party, students, Minorities, especially blacks and Jews. When a student votes Democrat, they're going into that booth, pulling the lever and saying, I don't deserve a future. I'm too stupid. When a black pulls the lever for the party of Jim Crow and, and slavery, they're saying, yes, boss, has a comment. And when a Jew pulls the lever, they're volunteering to pay their own train fare to Auschwitz and sew a yellow star on their jacket. This stupidity, stupidity. It's no coincidence that the three kinds of people, the three constituency blocks that Barack Obama stabbed in the back the worst were Jews, students, and blacks. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, they reap yeah. the fruit of their own stupidity. You know, in Israel, Andy, it, it, obviously the left, uh, the, the the left left side of the party is the left wing party. Is, is it pretty prominent in Israel? I mean, how how how? I mean, I know it's the right wing right now. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Did you call it moderately right with Netanyahu, but the left pretty strong there. I mean, how how do the Jews see left and right like in America? It's 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 a weird thing. It's most Jews are left wing. It, it's it's a little a little different here. You know, the the national split is much more equal. Um, the nation is really kind of split right down the middle almost, and and it you know you you have a kind of floating section in the middle, but it's much more. I think. And also, you've got the religious parties as well, yeah, and you know they hold they hold the kind of balance on the whole. You know, most time you can't you can't make a coalition without them. <laughs> so, and one thing that has happened recently is you know because you know only a few months ago there was talk about oh there could be a civil war because the oh, yeah. everyone was erupting against the the right wing government in Smotrich and some of these. I mean Smotrich, I think, and his, his other the other guy was. They're particularly some people the, the left consider them particularly repellent because they had connections to the Kahanists oh. or something like that. They were considered to be extreme. Mm. Um and uh, but now they since the October the seventh ish uh, horrendous uh, thing that happened atrocities, it's united the nation again, which is quite interesting. Um for at least for a while the the um the hostility towards the government has has been papered over, um, and maybe maybe this has woken up some of the lefties as well a little bit. That you know the policies of giving uh, land and stuff and and power to Hamas wasn't a good idea after all. Yeah, um, you know maybe some people will wake up. You know, um, we but, have to. Um, yeah, <clears throat> go on, Yakov. Go on. What Elon says is right. I just think a lot of people who are not Israeli or have not lived in Israel, don't understand the history of the genesis of Israeli political parties. In most countries, the right wing was the party of the establishment, okay? The ideological left was the party of the disenfranchised. Right. In Israel, it was the opposite. Yeah. Like Moroccan yes, Jews, poor Jews, poor Jews would vote, would vote ultra-nationalist. <laughs> well, the establishment was what we call WASPs, white Ashkenazi slobber protexia. They were socialists. They followed the 
founders of the kibbutz and the Moshav movement, they were socialists. So in Israel, the left was right and the right was left. Add to that the division between religious and, and secular Jews. So it's, it's it, it, there's no equivalence with with what you'd see in the United States or in Europe. The other country where there's no equivalence, and again, my own family being a mixture of Israeli and Irish, I, I, I'm acquainted with both, is Ireland. Ireland, the two main parties, apart from Sinn Féin, are Fine Gael and Fine Foil. Well, it's not about left and right, ideologically. It's about, did you follow Michael Collins or De Valera in the Irish Civil War in the early 20th century? Um, yes. Were you pro-treaty with Britain or anti-treaty with Britain? That, it was not about ideology in terms of economic philosophy or anything of that nature. It was it was not that. So Israel and Ireland are two countries where the conventional norms of left and right don't apply, do not apply in the same way they do in other democracies. No, that, that is yeah. very true. Obviously, the, the, even the beginning of Israel was like that, you know, pretty yes. much socialist, socialist, communist idea. Uh, I wanted to ask you this, Jacob, the the, the Dems, of course, uh, especially U.S. Representative Ayanna Presley and Senator Peter Welch here in the States, uh, passing, trying to pass a bill. It's got some momentum about uh, giving people in U.S. prisons the right to vote, as well as lowering the voting a uh, limit of uh, the voting age to 16. I mean, it seems to be they want to get young people and want to get those in prison to vote. Yeah. And obviously, they will get their votes toward the Democratic leftist party. Same reasons they want to give statehood to Guam and Puerto Rico. Um, same reason they want illegal immigration and allowing illegal immigrants not to have to present ID to vote. It's simply there in order to manipul illegally manipulate elections. It's to keep the election system crooked. That's why they want to do it. It's about power. You know, they realize, <laughs> they realize that Hispanics, as they yeah. become upwardly mobile and anglicized, that second and third generation Hispanics are the same as gringos. And they tend, they're, they're more, more and more Hispanics are anti-illegal immigration. They're yeah. more in tune with, 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 with they're basically, you know, they even call them those pochos. There's the Hispanic Americans. And then there's the Chicanos. They don't realize there's a division even in the Hispanic Latin American community in the United States between like Cubans, Puerto Ricans, who all who are American citizens, and Los Pochos, the ones who've always been there legally, and the illegal immigrants. There's a division in, in the Latin community. Well, they're afraid of that. They're very much afraid of that. They realize it's it, it's a big problem. Um, they've got to do anything they can to keep power. That means illegal immigration. That means giving a youth vote down to 16. That means letting prisoners vote. That means pimping off your mother. They don't care. You know, they, they, they have yeah. no scruples and no morals about anything. None. You know, another reason why they want they might want prisoners to vote is because half the Democratic Party might be on the wrong side of the bar, you know, after <laughs> Trump gets in. So they want to, want to retain their vote, the right to vote. That, that is very <laughs> true. In fact, that's probably very true, uh, even today. But it, it's interesting, you know, watching the uh, the debate. I, I, I caught a little bit of the debate, most of it, I should say, after a couple of days. But that night, I caught a little bit of it. Um, the debate in the Republican Party, because you know, where's the opposition party? You think about that in the United States. Where's anything, anyone saying anything against the evils of culture uh, of today? And and you have this guy Ramaswamy uh, Vivek. 
And uh, although he says the right things, and he pointed out things that are obvious within the Republican Party, and Jacob was talking about uh, early on Republicanism and, 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 and being confused with Christianism, um, it's interesting. They got these, uh, you know, Chris Christie and, and, and Nikki Haley, who are obvious neocons, warlike people. And they want more war. They want a war in Ukraine. They want a war here. They want a war there. And of course, they sit on the uh, on the boards of a lot of these uh, companies like Raytheon and Boeing, and especially Nikki Haley. Uh, Jacob, what do you think about Ramaswamy? It was interesting. I mean, he brought up things that I don't think even DeSantis well, wants to touch. He's a Hindu. He's not a Christian. Right. 90% he's Republican. He's Republican. Yeah, he's Republican. 90%, but he's not an establishment Republican. That's what's interesting. He's not a rhino. He's an outsider, yeah. Yeah, 90% of the time, I agree with him. 90% of the time, I agree with him. But he still worships demon idols. And sometimes I don't agree with him. I was not comfortable with his position on the Middle East and Israel. Um, but 90% yeah. of the time, I agree with him. But the only winners of those debates with, with Christie, who's, who's who's an absurd figure, he's just oh. become a, he's just become a laughing stock. Why is he there? Why is he there? I mean, I didn't even, I didn't yeah. even know he was running. I mean... You know, he is he, he trying to get a job with the, the, the next administration at the yeah, what, <laughs> the only the only winner to that debate was Donald Trump. He had the good sense not to show up and, and and go down to that level. It was the, the yeah. lowest rating of I think there's four of them or three of them that they've had. It was the lowest yeah. rating of all of them. And it was a you know, I, I like I, ideologically, I like, you know, our friend Governor DeSantis. I really do like him. But he's not a charismatic personality and he's not an orator. No, he's in trouble. Yeah, it's really a lot of trouble. Unfortunately. Yeah. He just does not have the pizzazz, which is you know in an ideal world that shouldn't be a factor, but in the real world it is. Yeah. yeah. Hair, charisma, and, and a great orator. I guess that's really the three things that actually win out an election. Uh, and, they actually... and the ability to do mean tweets. Oh. Uh... <laughs> <You know. laughs> oh, getting into that, you know, it, it is interesting. <clears throat> Speaking of that, you know, with Twitter and X, you know, that the, the, they're trying to def uh, all the uh, all these companies exiting X, and there's a real collusion to try not to advertise on X. Uh, I, I thought it was pretty interesting because uh, a lot of people are going toward X that want free speech, but then all the other companies, all the establishment companies, are getting out of there and and and, and they're losing money quite a bit. I don't think uh, I don't think uh, uh, Elon cares too much about it, but I thought it was interesting that um, you know a lot of the establishing companies, especially like Disney, uh, doesn't yeah. want all guys and it's calling out uh, Elon and all these other people. It was just it, it's just weird, but I I think the uh, you know, with X and social media uh, in the election cycle, 2024 is going to play a big role. I think that's why I think they're trying to take out Twitter uh, or X, because I think it's going to play a big role in 2024. And they don't want anybody to be posting anything on that on that platform. Yes. I think Jay and I were yeah, talking. But... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go on. Go on. Uh, I was going to say that the, um, you know, Twitter is, it's also, um, you know, you've got different levels of account, and you can you can buy um uh, um well, there's, uh, you can subscribe and, and and pay. I don't know how much it is a year. I can't remember now, but that that you don't see any adverts after that. So maybe most people would be the cost is quite reasonable. I think so. Most people would be 
maybe go that route anyway, so it become a subscriber service rather than um, yeah, uh, you're right. <clears throat> yeah, instead of being free and advertise, I mean, with all the advertisement, they're just going to make it for you know a, a pay service just to have it in. A, in yes. Go Especially if the video platform side of it grows a lot, you know, people will probably be happy to do that rather than than watch uh, ad after ad on YouTube. That's uh, right. You know, no, it's it's yeah, yeah. It's, it's unbelievably crazy. But uh, you know, it's speaking of what the Dan's were trying to do. Especially, they're trying to censor Vivek Ramaswamy because he was just completely, <laughs> I guess, maybe not not according to the Dems. He's just a complete fascist Nazi, whatever they call him now. Because he mentioned things about J6, he mentioned things about transsexuality, he mentioned things about the election, and they, they were just freaking out. But I, I, looking at what the Dems are doing with people like him and other people that are conservative, did you guys see that uh, the Daily Wire, the, the actor from the Daily Wire, uh, was arrested mm-hmm. the night of the premiere of the movie? Uh, yep. Jay's going to turn me on to that because, I, I mean, I knew the movie was coming out. But I had no idea that arrested the, one of the actors in the movie, Saika Mas- Mas- Masakali, um, who had been there on at the, at the, uh, in Washington, D.C. on J6, on January 6th. Now they, they're going after him for four misdemeanors uh, related to his presence just on the Capitol building. So uh, quite an interesting thing. On the, on the night of the event, they arrest him for something that happened three years ago. Yeah, the FBI yep. in person. Arresting yeah, yeah. someone for misdemeanors. The Federal Bureau of Intimidation. Yeah. I, I mean, is this is this the future of a lot of conservatives and Christians who they're going to go back into some kind of obscure event? That's where gonna... Vivek Ramaswamy is right. He he realizes the FBI is irredeemably corrupt. That it has to be abolished <clears throat> and replaced. That you cannot have the FBI. It has to be destroyed. It has to be. Just like the IRS, these things have to be eliminated. They have to be extirpated. Put into oblivion. They cannot exist anymore. They have to be replaced or their responsibilities have to be distributed to other agencies of government. But the FBI and the IRS have no moral right to exist. They uh, don't even, they shouldn't even be referred to as the FBI anymore. They should be, <laughs> seriously, they should be called the Gestapo. Because that, oh, that's, no. that is what they fill. They are a secret police going after people, uh, regular citizens, for intimidation and for politics. That's, that's what they've become. A political police, they've always been that. But now it's gotten way out of hand. Well, they've been caught, um, you know, researching and, and doing background checks on Christians and, and going around uh, intimidating parents at, uh, at, at parents meeting, teacher parents meetings. And it, it's just unreal have they been unleashed, as well as, of course, the federal government has, has completely unleashed uh, illegal searches. The, the very fact that they obtained a FISA warrant on false pretenses with a forged dossier. Why did nobody go to prison? Why yes. is Strzok not in prison? Why is Comey not in prison? And then Mr. Trump fires McCabe and those guys, wherever he fired, and he gets Christopher Ray, who's just as corrupt as the other ones. Um, it, it's irredeemable. It's, it's hopeless. Nobody should try to reform or redeem the FBI. It needs to be abolished. Full stop. 
It's the Federal Bureau of Invest Intimidation. It is a political Gestapo that is correct. It needs to be demolished. You know, it's interesting that we're talking about the guy that got arrested by the FBI. What about the guy that made the meme about Hillary? Yeah. And he's in prison. I mean, it, it sounded like so much like what happened in Ireland, where you, you know the Leo was talking about we need to go after anybody that's causing you know within social media and anybody that's speaking against illegal immigration. Well, this guy Douglas Mackey, he's in prison seven months, and uh, he, his sentence was postponed by the appeals court. Uh, but now he's got to wait. He's got to go to a district court and maybe a Supreme Court, a uh, second court of appeals, maybe Supreme Court eventually on the basis of free speech. But Jacob, this is what I was referring to. It's 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 no longer. I mean, if you live in a country where this is happening, you yes. cannot say your country is free any longer. You, you oh, can't. Oh. Well, you have people from January 6th in prison without bail for, for a crime that never even happened. <laughs> Look, you had Congress pass a law saying that NASA and the Pentagon had to disclose data concerning unidentified flying objects. Yes. And, this, and, and, and the Pentagon's saying, we're not doing it. <laughs> or Eric Holder, another guy who belongs in jail. Eric Holder, um, Attorney General of the United States in contempt of Congress? You know, yeah, there is no rule. It's it's political justice. It is not legal justice. It's just a corrupt system. That's what we've got. That's what we voted for. Yeah, corrupt judges, corrupt system. And you talked about Jacob, and and, and Jesus warned about this. And yep. in terms of persecution, you're going to go to the courts. Not be walk before magistrates and kings. Yeah, this this is what's really fascinating. And what's interesting about the uh, the, the Ireland case. And this new bill that they're bringing out, it already was bad enough before this. Now that they have put some more teeth into it, they literally want to control the Internet in Ireland. So if you're an Irish citizen under this bill, your Internet, it's completely controlled by the government. What you say and what you what you post, it can land you in, in a very deep, deep mess with the government. Yes. Because of free mm. you know, obviously, it's a different kind of free speech in terms of they don't have a constitution, but in terms of posting anything. Yes. And it's really a control of the Internet. You control yep. the Internet. You control everything about people's, uh, um, not only people's communication, but banking. Uh, you were talking about earlier, uh, Andy, about banking and VPNs and stuff like that. That's all going to be controlled. In, in Ireland, it's going to be controlled by the government. Oh, did you see just about, just as on on on, on that the Irish Parliament has now voted unanimously to put the um the 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 Hamas flag on the uh, Parliament building? What it's unanimously? Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. Oh man, Jacob, why is it? I mean, you might have mentioned it last week, but I probably forgot about it. But if anybody didn't watch it, it was it was really good. Why does the Irish government are so pro Hamas? I mean, I know they're anti-Israel, and they like been... stupidity of of making the false comparison of Irish republicanism and Palestinian Islamic nationalism. Mm. They're making a false comparison. In fact. The Irish are the indigenous people of Ireland, and the Jews are the indigenous people of Israel. They make a false comparison, and people buy into it. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's why will Black Americans 
vote for the party of Jim Crow um, yeah. and slavery. You know, it, it doesn't make any logical sense. Why will the majority of American Jews still vote Democrat when two thirds of the Democrat Party are opposed Israel? It doesn't make any sense. Remember, we always say people get the governments they deserve. And that is particularly true in yeah. democracies. It's particularly true in democracies. You've got a piece of garbage in the White House. It's because you wanted him there. Adolf Hitler became the, the Fuhrer of Germany because of the German people. Yeah, they wanted him. They wanted somebody like that because they wanted a a, a reaction. It was a reaction to what society was all about. The Versailles Treaty, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it is it is quite interesting what is happening there. But I wanted to switch gears real quick to another big important subject: is what's going on in the war and, and what's going on in the war, especially Ukraine and Russia. And uh, and you talked about those who you know, saying no to the Congress and, and contempt of Congress. Well, here is Lloyd Austin, whom Congress said, we're not going to give any more aid to Ukraine. It's already quite a bit of money, $200 billion or so, and maybe more than that. Uh, but he says, if you don't give us any more money, we're going to have to eventually fight this war. U.S. troops on the ground in Europe. Uh, he used the word very likely. If you don't give us the money, we're very likely going to do this. So is this blackmail, Jacob? I mean, the U.S. troops will be deployed. Money is not approved. Again, Constitution says Congress has the right to declare war. Yes. Not a not a politically appointed halfwit, which is exactly what he is. The, the man is he's a halfwit. He says his priorities are are woke and inclusivism and all this kind of stuff. And well, he's a half. Our enemies laugh at him, and I don't blame them. He deserves to be mocked and laughed at, as does Brown, the politically appointed chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. These people are appointed not on the basis of their military ability, but on the basis of woke politics. That's why he's there. He's just a stooge. He's a. But notice, he sings one tune about the Ukraine, and yeah. another tune about Israel. He's yeah. pressuring Israel. Not to fight for its defense, but gung ho for for the Ukraine without any yeah. any restrictions. Um, again, he's a hypocrite. I don't think he's that intelligent. He's certainly a hypocrite, and he's a political stooge. Jacob, yeah. one issue I have with what you said is, I think you're doing a disservice to halfwits everywhere by calling okay. Lloyd Austin a halfwit. Okay. All uh, right. <laughs> the halfwits who may be viewing, we might get letters. Yeah, what uh, Yeah, I know that this is this is this is very disheartening. I mean, it, it is quite. I mean, I was reading it and I couldn't believe what I was reading that he was actually saying this. Uh, in, in fact, uh, you know, we'll send our uncles, our cousins, and sons to fight Russia. I mean, man, Biden. But by the, the way, thing. how are they going to do that? Because look at what Ukraine has done. Ukraine is consistently tried to go against the defensive nature of the Russian military. That's what they do. They they fortify and they wait for you to attack. So what you're yeah. saying is you're going to send a bunch of Americans to go and kamikaze against the for, the for, fortified position of, of Russia to try to push them out of Ukraine? That's, that's not that, that sounds like a, a, a slaughterhouse. Oh, it, it, right. The media is done. The media is lying. Russia is being damaged, but the Ukraine is being decimated. 
Correct. Yeah. Up to a half a million people killed. It's being decimated. Oh, Russia's being damaged, but Ukraine is being decimated. No, it, it is unbelievable. It, 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 I mean, they won the I think war of attrition, period. The, the, the war of attrition, the Russians have oh, yeah. already won it against Ukraine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's pretty much over. But Zelensky, I think they're going to get rid of Zelensky because they're going to put it on him. They're going to put it on him. They're going to put him out. And they're going to say, well, this has all happened because of Zelensky. And then, in my opinion, I think they're going to get rid of Biden, too. The deep state's going to get rid of Biden because he, yeah. somebody's going to take the fall for this. The, what they did in Ukraine, what, they, what they've done in Ukraine, it's absolutely horrible against Ukrainians, uh, the, the Russian people. It is just, anyway, I can go on and on for a while, but it, it, is, it is quite disheartening to see that you know, we're calling literally for U.S. troops to go fight a war in Ukraine or or, or any NATO ally, basically. Um, you know, we're not going to lose our goodwill, he says, to the NATO ally. So uh, I don't know. This is, uh, it, it. you know, the election is coming. There might not be one. I mean, like I said, the Dems are going to raise hell in the next uh, year or so. So uh, I don't know. I don't seem very optimistic toward this coming election, whether we're going to have one or not. Yeah. What about the uh, the Venezuela one, the Guyana, Venezuela? Did you guys hear that one? Yes. That is quite an interesting. 70%. They annexed 70% of Guyana with the oils and the minerals and the gas and the, uh, what do they have, diamond and gold there? I mean, it's a very rich area. ExxonMobil actually does yeah. the offshore drilling there. You know, right from the inception of Guyana, from its independence from the British, that border was disputed. But it yes. was finally legally settled by international treaty and convention in 1966. And before he died, Maduro's predecessor, the dictator Hugo Chavez, who's now most likely in hell with Che Guevara and Fidel Castro discussing old times, um, agreed that the border was settled. Now he's changed his tune after yeah. oil is discovered offshore. Um, the economy of Venezuela does not have the wherewithal on its own to conduct a military incursion into in, in, into Guyana. It, it doesn't. But you've got a left-wing regime in Brazil that does. Yeah. Not the best shape either. And, of course, you've got Russian and Iranian backing of that Maduro. That's the key right there. That is the other factor. Um that is the reality. Um, again, nothing can be more devoid of merit than their claims, given the fact that Hugo Chavez himself said the border is a settled issue and affirmed what was decided in 1966, uh, yes. putting in a, a multi-generational conflict about where the border should be located. It's just pathetic and it's absurd. Um, the, the growth in national product, the the growth in GNP of uh, of of Vienna, has been sixty two percent per annum this year. Oh. They're going to have a sixty two. Forget China's four percent, five percent, sixty two percent growth with a population that's less than a million people. If you, if 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 you, if you live in Guyana, you're a very fortunate person. 
Um, well, you were until the uh, yeah. Venezuelans invaded, yeah. Yeah. They'll just now, wreck the economy, won't they? Yeah. He tried to, Maduro, who's a reprehensible person, he tried to get a referendum to get public support and, and, a, and a referendum vote for the annexation of, mm. of Western Guiana. Yeah. Only 10% of the people turned out to vote. Now, he's saying... <laughs> 95% of our citizens voted for annexation. Well, you didn't ask the citizens of, of, of Guyana, but yeah. 90, yeah, but only 10% of them even showed up to vote. I mean... Yeah, it, yeah this is uh, Essequiba, which is a, the area right there that's been annexed. And of course, you said it right, Jacob, the, the connection with Iran, with Russia, with Hamas, with uh, terrorist groups, which goes back to the Chavez era, uh, it's it's big part of fueling this. They see the weakness. They see the United States completely, uh, you know, very distracted in, with China, with Russia, with the Middle East now, that they're going to just walk right in and take it with the aid and support of terrorist organizations that are there in South America. It's well known. And of Russia, which is well known uh, for a communist state. And uh, now th now there's a war in South America. Now, I mean, another war. This yep. is... This is part and parcel of the days in which we live in now. Wars and rumors of wars. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we're hitting about... Have we hit the hour mark yet? I think we hit the hour mark. That went really fast. And uh, we want to make sure that we welcome everybody. And uh, you're watching on YouTube. You're watching on Facebook. You're watching on Rumble. You're watching on TV. You're watching on different platforms like Vimeo and Telegram. And uh, we welcome you in the name of the Lord. And we're going to be jumping over on Backstage pretty soon so we're going to be talking about a very sensitive topic we can't talk about it on youtube uh because you know there is the connection with the ccp and their protection of that so we're going to be talking about them in another platform uh on backstage we're also going to be taking questions on backstage so start sending the questions in and that uh, we are going to uh, end up catching up with uh, a couple of interesting topics one is going to be about israel and then the other one's going to be about bible translations and what's going on uh with the rapture there so let's uh Let's talk about Israel for a moment because that's getting really interesting. Today, actually it was yesterday, United Nations Secretary invokes Article 99, a threat to international peace and security, security. says General Secretary General Gutierrez. And uh, that's Article 99. It hasn't been invoked since 1989, just prior to the uh, Yugoslavia War. And uh, now he says it's unprecedented. We need this done his first time he's going to do it since he took over in 2017. Jacob, what does it mean when the UN gets involved with Article 99? I mean, we're going to have uh, UN troops and uh, uh, you know going down um, Gaza, going down uh, Jerusalem. I mean, what in does this practical look like? terms? In practical terms, the United nothing is nothing. It doesn't <laughs> matter what they do. The Security Council is always going to be controlled by the veto power of five nations, no matter what happens. So it, ultimately, it means nothing. Um, united not, nothing is united nothing. Um, now, the hypocrisy of it. Why didn't the united nothing do that about what happened in Rwanda? Uh, why, why, why did they say nothing about what happened in the Ukraine? Why did, didn't they do this when a half a million Syrians, a half million nearly, were slaughtered in Syria? Why didn't they say anything when a quarter of a million Arabs were slaughtered by the Houthis? with the backing of Iran. There was never yeah. any Article 99 or U UN Security Council resolution being demanded for when Muslims were killing other Muslims. It's only about Israel. It's just a typical 
hypocrisy and corruption of the United Nothing. And again, I strongly believe the United States should cut back its funding and other Western countries, but certainly the United States should reduce its funding of the United Nations by at least 50%. Well, uh, yeah. I'm trying to do that. I don't think Biden's going to do that at all. I mean, it's just... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People speak about the United Nothing as if it has a moral authority. <laughs> well, you may as well talk about, you know, Al Capone having a moral authority. The, the UN has no moral authority. When you it, see the United Nothing, you realize you're dealing with people who have no integrity. Yeah. Look at Paul Volcker investigations into their finance. Oil, yeah. oil, oil for whatever. It's just a, it's it's a corrupt parasite class of phonies. That's they all about Guyana yeah. either. They're saying nothing about that invasion there. So, yeah, it 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 is very one sided. But the the of course the escalation in the in, in in by Hamas, you know, not only the ceasefire which they're blaming on Israel, which it goes back and forth. But there's also an interesting thing going on in Jerusalem, Jacob, on the first day of Hanukkah. They had this uh, right-wing groups oh, yeah. are, are very much Kahanist, what's it called, Kahanist and Jewish ultra-nationalists uh, ultra marching up in the Temple Mount and going down the old city and sh shouting that they're going to take over the Temple Mount. And they, they were, you know, eject the waft, that's what they were saying. Uh, leftists are traitors, all this stuff. And they were led by quite a bit of rabbis there going on. So they were stopped by the police. I don't think they're going to do it again. At least 150 activists uh, were gathered there. Um, what do you, Jacob, to take us a little back into the history of that, because people don't know the Kahanist yeah. group. When, when, when Theodore Herzl and when Golda Meir and when Ben Gurion and, and even Jabotinsky were fighting to establish a Jewish state of Israel, where were the rabbis? They were in Brooklyn hiding under the bed. These people are hypocrites and parasites. They had nothing whatsoever to do with the establishment of the state of Israel, nor anything to do with his sustenance. Most of the yeshiva bookers don't fight. They're cowards. Most of them just demand subsidies for the yeshivas. They're parasites. Now that a Jewish state exists, without their help, they want to control it. That's all they are. These people want to turn Israel into a shtetl. The idea of Israel was we're not going to be the people of the shtetl, of the ghetto anymore. We're going to be the people of the land. The ultra-Orthodox want to make Israel into a fiddler-on-the-roof country and put it back into a shtetl. That's what their neighborhoods look like. It's what B'nai yeah, Brahman looks like. It's what Mayor Sharim looks like. It's a shtetl. These are people of the ghetto. They are not Jews of integrity. They are not Jews of courage. They are hypocrites, they are parasites, they are certainly liars, and above all, they're cowards. Now, why, why, if the rabbis were the spiritual shepherds of the Jewish people they claimed to be, why did God have to use Jewish socialists, even Jewish communists, to reestablish the state of Israel? Why didn't he use the rabbis and the religious? But now that it's, a, and many of them oppose Zionism. They opposed it. And some still do. Yeah, but, I've seen them that the rabbi state, Yeah, but now, yeah, the Nutrai Korda and the, the, the Setmar, they're anti-Zionist. Now that it's a state, despite them, they want to control it. Yeah. Look, I believe in the right of the Jewish people to live in that country. I did not like the fact that the control of the Temple Mount is in the hands of the Waffle. I don't agree with any of that stuff. <laughs> but I have no more respect 
for the right wing nationalists of Kahani and, and Kach and these parties mm. and, the, yeah. and the American JDL than I do for any other terrorist organization. Mm. Yeah, they, they, mm. they follow, and you can tell us a little about Kahani, Merrick Kahani. That that's their that's their rabbi that they said they follow, <laughs> and he's got you know numerous images of him on on posters going around when they were marching. They call it the March of the Maccabees. I mean, did they think they're gonna fight? Them, uh... No, no. The Maccabees had guts. Yeshiva boys don't have any guts. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, eject the Wah from the temple. Restore Jewish control. Obviously, they were kicked out because of the tension that they're gonna cause in there. But uh, I think there were two groups. Uh, one was called, here it is, the Sons of Mount Moriah, and the other group is called Jewish Truth, Jewish Truth, uh, and they follow a guy named Baruch Marzel, Rabbi yeah. Baruch Marzel, I don't know if he's in, in some kind of Knesset group or anything like that, but it, it is interesting, they were praising uh, Kahani on, on their Twitter page because, uh, you know, he led them into, you know, the, this this radical idea that they're going to go fight, uh, kind of like the Maccabees, so um uh, any of this uh concern you jake i mean they're at temple mount uh, i mean do do, do oh, we know revelation chapter 11 shows us what's going to happen to the temple mount we know the antichrist is going to bring a false peace we know there will be a tribulational temple we know where it's heading these people are just dealing with things they don't even understand they're they're blind spiritually they're blind to the meaning of their own scriptures if you show them Zechariah 12, they'll look upon me who they have pierced and yeah. mourn as one was, they wouldn't accept it. These yeah. people are, are, are not only blind, they're willfully blind. I have no respect for the ultra-Orthodox whatsoever. None. Yeah. Now, there may be individuals among them who are just born into it as a culture. Right. Um, and, and, and some of them leave. When a Jew joins it, they, they're called Baal Teshuvah. But the, the, when they leave, they're called something like... Uh, they return to the question. They return to the question. Um, some some see it and leave it because because they realize it's a cult. These Hasidic <laughs> yeah. sects are cults. Oh, yeah. Now and, and they're Kabbalists. They're into the into the occult. They practice Kabbalah. They practice occult. Now you have religious nationalists who may not be that Kabbalistic like Kahana's people, but Kahana, he, he was from New York. He was assassinated in New York. His son was killed in Israel. He was not a nice man. He was yeah, a violent. He, wasn't. No. he was no friend of democracy. No, no, I, I understand that part. Yeah, because uh, he was like a terrorist, wasn't he? Yes. He's calling for attacks. It's he was certainly racist, that's for sure. Oh, it's really? Accepted that yeah, Baptist, Baptist house in Jerusalem on Rehov Narkis was burned down. It was his people who did it. Oh, yeah. Mm. Now, Jacob, well, I wanted to use that real quick to, to spin into, you know, the Biden administration planning for a two-state solution right after this, because now that the, the there's a they want another ceasefire, they want to put this together again. And I think before he he leaves, he wants to have this sort of legacy in his in his uh, in the history that he is going to organize a two-state solution again. Now, Harris yeah. has been very vocal about this, right? It's speaking to uh, Herzog and the Palestinian Authority, um, uh, what is it, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, that they want this done before the election, November 2024. So, uh, I, you know, obviously, this, no one's ever done it. Well, let's look, at, let's just look at three basic facts. 
One, there has, according to the League of Nations and its success of the United Nations, according to the British government, according to Yasser Arafat and Fatah, and according to the Jordanian government, there's always been a two-state solution. That state is called Jordan. That's right. Secondly, from May 1948 until June 1967, Gaza, the West Bank, and East Jerusalem, and the Golan Heights were all firmly in the hands of Arab Muslims. If they wanted a second Palestinian state in addition to the one that they they said already existed, why didn't they create one when they had nearly 20 years to do it? That's mm-hmm. the second problem. <laughs> the third thing, and here, here is the hypocrisy and the lying of Camilla Harris and of, of Biden. And, and the stupidity of people who listen to them. Fatah, who controls the Palestinian Authority, Arafat's people, looted and pilfered the international aid that was given to Gaza to build an infrastructure. The people turned to Hamas. Then Hamas, of course, did the same thing. But they turned to Hamas. There was a war, a civil war in Gaza between Hamas and Fatah, the Palestinian Authority, in which 8,000 8,000 Palestinian Arabs were killed after the Israelis left in 2007-2008. They killed 8,000 of each other. There has not been a democratic election as there was supposed to be for the Palestinian Authority since. They have no legal legitimacy. They have not had an election. They're afraid if they have an election on the West Bank that Hamas would win. So Biden is talking about an illegal government in itself. It's a government that hasn't had an election in 20 years or some nonsense. Yeah. You know, it just the complete... Now, now I, I grant you, Camilla Harris, is, is, is a person of such low intelligence, she just says whatever they tell her to say. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Biden is too senile to know what he's talking about. Okay. But Blinken knows. Yeah. Jake mm-hmm. Sullivan knows. And Obama knows. Obama certainly knows. Now, this, these are the, the they have five principles, what they call the five no's. Uh, I wonder if they took it from the three no's in cartoon in 67. But anyway, uh, no forcible displacement, no yeah. reoccupation, no siege or blockade, no reduction in the territory. This is about Gaza and no use of Gaza as a platform for terrorism. That's the principle mm. to make this deal done. The five no's. Now, it's going to go down in history as the, 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 the you know, no-go, yeah, or even like the cartoon, you know, in the, the three cart, uh, three no's in cartoon. But that's their that's their platform, that they're going to use Gaza, no, no displacement, mm-hmm. no reoccupation, no blockade, no reduction, and no use of Gaza as a platform for terrorism. But nothing mentioned about Israel, nothing mentioned about the atrocities that they've done against Israel. It's simply about Gaza. Well, again, I point to the fact that after the atrocities happened, the response of Camilla Harris was, we need a national strategy against Islamophobia. That's what she said. They ignore the fact, she ignored the fact that there was a ceasefire in effect up until October 6th, but Hamas broke it. Now they want another one because they're losing. No, it is really, it, it's, it's... I pray it's, the Almighty raises his hand against the Biden administration and the Obama administration. I pray the Almighty raises his hand against them. I really do. 
not just for the sake of Israel, but for the sake of justice. You yeah. know, every president that I've seen that gets involved in this, Jacob, somehow, some way, they get ousted, they have major scandals, and they eventually go Zachariah 12, all who lift it will hurt themselves grievously. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, I wanted to finish here before catching, before we get into uh, um, backstage, is the other probably big topic here is the, the Bible translation issue. We're going to finish with that. And uh, I've been talking to Andy, talking to other people about the Bible translation organizations and uh, how broken it is. And I didn't know yes, this. Yeah. Reading yes. it. It's really a broken, and I hate to use the word industry. It used to be a ministry. Yeah. Now it's an industry. Andy, can you shed a light into this? Of, of First of all, of <clears throat> how it works and then the problems with it. The problems with it, and then you you can compare it to what Islam does with the Quran versus what the Bible translations or translators do with the translations, which some of them are very fond. You know, we're very fond of them, uh, but if you open it up, you'll find out that uh, you can't really use it freely. So go ahead. Yes, this, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't really aware of this this, this to this extent until um, about a month ago when I just came across this and. I, and I was absolutely shocked. I thought, "What, really? You know, and 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 how tightly regulated some of these translations are." And um, and for example, if you're, I think with most of them, you're not allowed to. If you're if you're producing a a work like a commentary or something, or not a commentary, but any any kind of publication, you're not on the. You're not allowed to have more than five hundred verses. I think. Um, you can't, if you wanted to, um, let's say, even for a Bible study, just produce um, a copy of the let one of John's letters or Jude or something like that. You cannot share a whole book. Well, you cannot include um, some of these uh, into uh, a publication that you create that had an open source kind of uh, Creative Commons kind of license. Um, you can't make it all there's so many and there's so many restrictions on these bible uh a lot of these bible translations and even the original uh even greek and hebrew texts and that it's actually causing problems for uh for translators who want to put uh, you know especially for min minority and small language groups and things like that um, I mean, there's billions of dollars, literally billions of dollars, going into um, Bible translation efforts abroad for many of these minority and small groups and indigenous groups and things. But very little is coming out of it in the way of translations, finished translation work with these traditional Bible societies as well. This is another. This is another thing, and. Um, uh, it, it, there's a there's a movement now to say look let get rid of the copyright on Bible translations get rid of the copyright on things like you know um, critical texts of Greek and Hebrew in order to allow these things to just to to be unlocked so that this this work can get done much faster. In fact, um, there's a, now they've started. I mean, there's a model now where um, people are moving away from using the the, the Bible societies and some of these big trans, big Bible tr translation uh, uh, ministries, and they're doing it on a small, on a local basis. Yes. But they're and, and it's happening much faster. But their work is also hampered by the fact that they can't 
for, for example, if you were um, trying to produce a translation quickly in, um, and you, you, you didn't have Greek skills, so you take something like, oh, I'll just use the ASV, not the ASV, the ESV or something. I'll just translate that into some weird tribal language or something that no one's ever heard of. You can't do that. It's illegal. You can't do Whoa. it. Whoa. Um, you can imagine the stumbling blocks this puts in place, but that's not that's not the only thing. Of course, the whole thing, this this whole mo- this movement that um, I came across, the the you think about um, worship recordings um, or, or worship materials, um, same thing, and some of them are just as commercial as as regular pop music. The same kind of licensing, the same kind of you get hounded for copyright infringement if you, you you could do if you use it in your church without permission or whatever and so on and so forth. And and basically this movement is is the whole culture of this that's yeah. that's that's endemic in evangelical Christianity today. I mean they refer to it as the evangelical industrial complex, and yeah. you can really see that and, it, and it, even the word of God now is being locked up under copyrights to stop it. From supposedly to stop it from being misused, but actually from it being used at all in some cases, wow. um, and some and some of these are very very strict um, uh, copyright uh, lockdowns. Very strict, some of them. Um, I think we're talking about the NIV, right? Having very strict. Uh, or oh even, yeah, I mean ESV. Yeah, I mean I read this thing that, 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 that apparently when the NIV was first mooted, it was. Fund the translation was funded by donations to the Bible societies, but then it got flogged off to a commercial company. That's correct. Which is really kind of a betrayal of of the donors. That is correct. You know? That is what's happened in the Christian music industry, and it's what's happened in the Christian publishing industry. They were ministries who were turned into industries. Most of them, or at least many of them, were secularly owned, run as business. Yes. Yeah, I think Zondervan yes. owns NIV now. <laughs> And then who owns who owns Zondervan is a whole other rabbit trail there. But you'll find it's not it's it, there are not many Christians involved in that. I mean, some years ago, I can remember when uh, I mean I use an open I used to use an open source Bible program. I think uh, it was Cambridge uh, when it was now. Um, and I th- I, then these new translations started to appear. And I thought I never heard of these, like the Berean Study Bible and the the World English Bible and the Open English Bible. I thought, what what on earth, you know, what, where are these coming from? I thought they were just private translations, but apparently no, these are new translations that are a reaction against all the copyright stuff. So they're open, they're open, they're free to copy, free to distribute, all the rest of it. They're copyright free, more or less. Um, and that, and um, so that maybe this is a factor that people might that might start to affect people's future Bible purchases. You know, um, yeah. not just the fact of who's tra- you know the accuracy of the translation. But maybe something else needs to be taken into account, such as is it freely licensed? Is it an open license? You know, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and and also this this movement is also saying. The same thing should be done with commentaries, worship materials, teaching. It should be free to give away because it's God's word, and teaching and you know on God's word. And who owns the copyright on God's word? God does. You know, in the end, it's His word. We don't have the right to lock it down in the way that we, we that has been done. You know. Yeah. Um, so uh, 
you sent me a video. Sorry, did, you want, did you want me to play that? Oh video? yes, please. Yeah. That's quite an interesting little video. Yeah. yeah and that's... Okay. Let's do that. It's it's very short, so I'll just play it here. Yes. Uh, you guys, let me know if we get audio because we've been having some trouble with Zoom on audio. But here it is. Is it true that you can't share pure scripture? I learned that at copy.church the other day, so I put it to the test and looked at major Bible translations like the ESV and NIV, and then I compared them to the Quran, and the difference will blow your mind. The Christian Bible publishers make it super clear that they own God's word, and it's strictly prohibited to share pure scripture. But doesn't God own his word? Isn't that why we call it God's word? So I got this beautiful Quran in the mail completely for free, and you'll never believe what it says inside. No rights reserved. Any part of this publication may be reproduced in any language. Is it just me, or is it embarrassing that Christians are making it illegal to copy and share the Bible, and then turning God's holy word into merchandise. Ah, there it is. That's just a very short introduction. On the website they have, there's, there's a lot more hard-hitting, uh, yeah. uh, very cutting stuff about this, this was, culture was, of commercialization. I was surprised about the Quran, the comparison with the Quran. Did you notice here it says it came from the United Kingdom, Birmingham? Uh, I was looking at where it came from, like, oh, I didn't know Birmingham yeah. Shop for Qurans, but I guess so now. I thought it would be well, Abu Dhabi or Saudi Arabia or something like that. But Birmingham was a huge, huge yeah. Muslim population. Wow, huge! It's very, it's a big city anyway. But it's, yeah. it's a huge Muslim population, yeah. But the point is, of course, Andy, is it's 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 free. Yes, it, you can copy. You can, but only only Christians are the ones who put restrictions on it. You know, yeah. If I if I may, can I ask a question really quick? Yeah. Go ahead, brother. For example, if you go to Bible Hub, you can actually see the original Greek, the original Hebrew. Okay. My question is, can you use something like that as an open source to then take the Greek words, take the Hebrew words, and write your own translation of the Bible? Or is that now that's now that's something slightly different? But what now? Um, Okay, um, you might be able to, to 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 translate from those Greek words there, but you what you probably wouldn't be able to do was if depending on which Greek text they're using, if it's um, you know West one of the UBS ones or the Nestle Arland or something like that, you wouldn't be able to just copy and paste that into and make your own Greek New Testament and give it out to anybody. So Where, who owns, however, who owns those original documents now? Right now, this is the this is the thing. What they do, I mean, you can, for instance, I think Codex Vaticanus, Sinaiticus, and some many of the Greek, um, the actual real manuscripts, ancient manuscripts. I don't think there's a copyright on the text of those, of those things. Though, you if you sold images of them, you might get into trouble. Yeah. But I mean. Um, but you would have to have the originals in your hands to do that, right? Yes, Andy? but if you had the transcribed text from those, I think you'd be free to distribute that. But, of course, most of the um, uh, the texts that we have available that most people use are critical texts that are, you know, that are compiled from various manuscripts and papyri and all the rest of it. And it's those that they've locked down by copyright. Unless you've got one of the older ones, like from like from two thousand from nineteen oh seven or the West the West Cotton Hort text or something, which in, in, is incredibly similar to. I mean, West Cotton Hort is about ninety seven percent similar to 
NA28, which is the Nestle Alan 28 version, um, which is, came out a few years ago. There's very, there's not really a lot of difference, but they justify their copyright by saying, "Ah, oh, we, we made some, we put a few changes in since the last version, and, and so on and so forth, so we can charge you more over, all over again." Yeah. You know, so this that the copyright is renewed because it's made, they made one or two changes here and there. You know, so it's like it's, it's almost like Disney; they've got an ongoing copyright all the time. We're going to make the cartoon, keep... and now we're going to make the li- the live version. Yes. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it works a bit like that, you know. So, but th- this can have um, a crippling effect on uh, on translation and um, and distribution of God's word. You know, I mean, and there's much more to it than this. There's a lot more. There's a whole lot of other stuff as well, which I'm just reading about. <laughs> but this is really bad. You know, yes. I mean, um, what, well, how dare we copyright God's word? You know, and 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 try to control it. Uh, you know yeah. what isn't what isn't ours to control? Yeah, there's, there's problem industry here in the states for sure, and then there's no shortage of money within the Bible Translation Society because they have plenty of money. I mean, it comes in every year, two hundred and twenty-five million, a hundred million, plenty of money to donate it to the translation societies. So they do have it. It's not a shortage of money. Well, we need this for money, fund our stuff. A lot of it comes from donations. It doesn't even come from yes, any, specifically, but donations. So. Um, so believers are donating <laughs> and they're profiting it and like the NIV example that you mentioned Andy, it, then it gets sold to yes. company yeah and, I mean I mean they're not, this, this kind of, this movement is they're not complaining that people make nice Bibles to sell, it's yeah. that the, the text itself has been copyrighted God's yes. word in either in either Greek or Hebrew form, or in translation, it is being copyrighted. No one objects to, you know, you're making a nice Bible, printing it, and selling the Bible as a, you know, as a. But it's it's the merchandising of the Word of God, the words of God, that, that is the issue, and the locking of it down, and yeah, claiming ownership over it. A poor country, you want to translate it into that language, then you run into yeah. trouble. Yes, this is what one of the things that's happening. Yeah. Uh, there's some st- statistics on their webs. It's quite an interesting topic, this. Um, but um, the, the the website that they're what, the main web one of the main websites for this, of course, the one that you saw is copy church, and the other one is sellingjesus.org. And that's some of the stuff on that. It's very disturbing, actually, about the way so, some ministry models are now operating. Yeah. If I might ask one more question, uh, the Geneva Bible, which is, I yes. believe is the Tyndale Bible. It, it's a revision of Tyndale, but it's very close to Tyndale, yeah. Close to Tyndale, yes. It came from Geneva after the Marian exile. The pilgrims, the Puritans, who were exiled under the persecution of Queen Mary, returned from Geneva to England, and that was their Bible. Yeah. It was the Bible of the pilgrims and the Mayflower. Yep, that's the one that they had open yeah. in that. Is that copyrighted as well? No, um, it's around too long. No, I don't know. that the, the 1560 version isn't, no. Because it, um, um, but I think the modern, the modern, re, um, they've done a modern version of it, haven't they? Which is, uh, um, I don't know who, pro- who produced that now. It's called the Geneva Study Bible or something, and it's they've updated the language. Um, that and, might be. Uh, I think that that might be copyrighted. But the, uh, the, yes, it is. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like the New King James version. Um, it, you know, the, 
there's not a lot of difference between that and the old King James version. It's got a few. It's got some changes to it, sure. and they've modernised the language, obviously. But that all, you know, that's got a very strict copyright on it. Hmm. Here is the problem. It, there's a legal complication, and a being faithful to the text, got credibility complication, legally. Um, the King James-only people, the Rupponites, say these other people have these other Bibles because they can make money by doing it, while the 1611 King James or, or any King James are in the public domain, and they're not copywritten, and you can do it. So therefore, you should be King James-only. That yeah. becomes one of the arguments for the King James-only people. And they already the started. They already that's started. That's, yeah. that's right. The second is, it was just something that we dealt with. There was a cult in Australia, who a cult, who began taking Moriel cassettes, it was cassettes then, audio cassettes, and selling our stuff. And we didn't like that. We never copyrighted. It was just free. We never copyrighted in the beginning of Moriel. But a cult began using it. And then there was some guy in New Zealand who began editing it, taking oh, out the bits he didn't like and just putting it out. So, and then it was another guy He's dead now. Um, <clears throat> the Lord took him, or somebody did. Anyway, he he began bootlegging our stuff. Um, oh, that was yeah, fake Moriel in Australia, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah right. It was the, a fake Moriel in yeah. Australia. And we went to the lawyer, and we said, "Look, Christian lawyer, what can we do?" And he said, "You've got a copyright." I said, "We don't want a copyright." See, but you have to because you're going to get these bootlegs or people changing the content. Um, and so we did, and we put the content in the name of Moriel, but then this other guy makes a fake Moriel. He calls it Moriel Australia or something. And then the lawyer said, the only thing you can do is copyright it in the name of Jacob Prash. I don't want to copyright it in the name of Jake, but what are you going to do? You know what I'm saying? So, well, I agree that there's a problem here, and I don't like people profiteering off the word of God in this way. I also realized to, to be fidelity to the text and to stop bootlegging and to stop people from, again, altering the text. Um, how, do you deal, how do you deal with that problem practically if you don't copyright? And a Christian lawyer told me you, there's no other way to stop it. That's what he told me. Well, and I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. They do address that issue in the... Um... In the on, I think on on one of the websites I mentioned, but it, it's it, it's certainly um, a very interesting topic, and I, and I can't remember all the, the details now because I you know I need to read on it some more, um, but it's the uh, it's the it, it's it's the you know it's the commercialization of things that they were um, really really concerned about, and uh, the way that these restrictive licenses are used to to stop genuine people from translating or distributing the word of God. You know, the crooks are a different thing. To be honest, if you're a crook, I don't think the copyright would bother you anyway. You just do it anyway. If you're really crooked, you know, <laughs> that is um, true. It's the, it's the dissemination of God's word. That's really being hampered, not the copying or the distortion of it, because most people probably don't want to get into the distortion copying of scripture. Maybe a few, you know, maybe a select group of people that just want to attack it. But if the Bible has been already established that this is 
this is the, what the English translation says or whatever language it says, it, you know, it could be easily figured out that they, they corrupted it. Okay, you know? I what you say, but here's my question. What do you do with the fact that the Jehovah's Witness New World Translation is not a translation from the Greek and Hebrew? They right. just took King James and other translations and amended them in accordance with their own denials of the Trinity and deity of Christ and things like that. The word was a God. But it was not an original translation from the original languages. It was just, they just copied other translations. <laughs> So, uh, actually, what? Uh, what, one one thing that's uh, you know you know actually the the KJV is not is not actually public domain in the way that uh, well not in the UK it's not maybe in the US you could get away with it, but in the UK it's there's still a crown kind of copyright thing on it and right, there yeah. are actually restrictions believe it or not it's not completely public domain in the yes, sense and, that Andy, people you guys are authorized by the crown yeah. Yeah, and he's correct there. You can actually share King James verses of the Bible, but you do have to have the KJV um, thing when you share the passage. There is a copyright yeah. on it, but it does allow you to share it. Oh, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Well, yeah. Elko says, as anybody's free to copy and circulate these things, but do not edit it. Do not do not change. Yeah, yeah exactly. So there's got to be some restriction about copying and, uh, you know, I mean, editing and and corrupting it uh they're interesting maybe we'll 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 bring it back again andy in a couple of months and, and see yeah i want to, i want to do some more research on it it's, it's quite fascinating but um you know we can see there's a problem here with the bible translation industry and the um the way some ministry is being done yeah um you know uh, um, one, one thing i'd like to ask you andy even if it's for next time too is just kind of like there's certain modern translations where I know the people on the translation committee, they've all been there. They've had one agenda. You know, they've had like a Kingdom Now mindset or an NAR mindset. They've all got financial kickbacks for being on the on part of the translation committee. I, I'd kind of like uh, to comment a little bit more on that next time too, especially these ones that are being full on Kingdom Now, NAR. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, it was like Brian Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> that one where he got he got the Passion Translation, yeah. Yes, yes, that's right, that's yeah. right. And he, he saw John chapter 23 in heaven while he was up there or something. Yep. Oh, right. How they get stuff like the John MacArthur Study Bible or the Faith Counseling Bible. <laughs> they get... They get the stuff that's focused on counseling or prosperity yes. or some Bible or man like Magatha. And I guess they all copyright, I guess. Yes. Go ahead, Jay. I just wanted to mention, because we kind of just really raced past it, but when you talk about CCLI, uh, yeah. the, the music side of this, it's even more sinister. Because pre-1922, anything in America... Any Christian worship song created before 1921 is public domain. You don't need a license to play it. But if you look at how they've used Christian music worship songs today to push away from the traditional songs, they have actively tried to promote new worship so that they could monetize it. Yep. Yeah, and that that's that's the worst part is that the old stuff 
for lack of a better term, is biblically based. You're gonna you're gonna yes. w- sing a worship song before 1921. You're gonna be singing scripture most of the time. Awesome, um, yeah. awesome stuff. Anything yeah. past that that they're they're using today, you're gonna be singing stuff that's really, really kind of watered down and commercialized. And, and there's nothing wrong with modern music. <clears throat> But when it's but licensed, Hell's like it has exactly been. That. Hell's song is exactly that. It's a way to make money for yeah for the machine. Yeah, and Bethel music and all the rest of it in Jesus culture, yeah, all the it, same it, stuff. It's, isn't become, it? it's become like the music industry of the world. Absolutely right. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. The other yeah. thing, uh, just to finish off, and I think we got we got some questions on this over the last couple of months because uh, we have noticed, and, and there's people have noticed too, that a lot of pre-tribulational teachers. And, and from those theological circles, I've really began to emphasize on the Antichrist. And this is something, you know, myself growing up as a young Christian, looking at different theological issues, that was the one group that never talked about it because in the theological conclusions that they had is that the church wouldn't be here where the Antichrist would come. So they never really talked about it. They acknowledged that it was there, but certainly didn't pay much attention to it because they would actually make things like we're, you know, you know, they're looking for Jesus Christ and everybody else is looking for the Antichrist. And it sort of became, you know, sort of this buzz, um, you know, slogan that they had that they were more spiritual, I suppose, than other people. So now, and it's just quite interesting, people have noticed it. I have noticed it, but we get some inquiries. Why are some of these pre-tribulational teachers and those theological circles beginning to emphasize the that you have to identify the Antichrist in order for the church to be raptured? So this is something, you know, we've asked Jacob, we've asked Andy about this. Andy and I, we've had some conversations about this. So Andy, I'll turn it over to you. We'll, we'll circle it around uh, with each other. But to start us off, what what do they mean by, because I, I certainly don't believe that they mean what we've been trying to say from Second Thessalonians chapter two, but what do they mean? Well, <clears throat> from the interactions I've had over here with um, uh, uh, a pre-tribulationist who's a big supporter of um, Arnold Frostenbaum and Lee Raynard, um, <clears throat> one of the things that became obvious that you know, you know, in Second Thessalonians it talks about that day the Lord shall not come and except there be, you know, a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed, uh, you know, who is the um, <clears throat> the son of destruction and, um, you know, who shall exalt himself above everything that is called God and uh, everything that is worshipped and sit in the temple of God, showing himself to, you know, showing, uh, displaying himself to be God. And um, they, they, they took that word, apocal- you know, apocalypsis of, of the Antichrist to be uh, merely, yeah. merely identification. Okay. So they, they misread it, basically. I mean, they take it from its context. I mean, the context is that the that revealing happens um, as part of um, his enthronement in the temple. You know, and you can see also down further down in verse, it mentions it again in verse uh, verse 8 of the same chapter. So they think of it as just merely identifying who Antichrist could be. And then, you know, so uh, because they view the tribute, the, um, the the entire 70th week of Daniel as being the Great Tribulation, and they and they think of the Great Tribulation and the uh, Day of the Lord as being synonymous, they can then, they then apply that to thinking, oh, look, if we can identify the Antichrist, then 
that that must happen before the 70th week of Daniel. So they've twisted two things already. So that's why they're so keen on identifying just about anything that's got two legs as, as being the Antichrist. <laughs> you know, that's why they're always looking for some new Antichrist figure. But but they're taking it from from um, from its context because you know what, like G- Paul was taking his teaching from Jesus. And you know, Jesus was saying that certain th- that the, the disciples asked Jesus, "Lord, what shall be the sign of your parousia and the, the end of the age?" And, he's, and then he goes and gives he gives them some uh, initial kind of overview of the tribulation period. Then he says, "Therefore, when you see, you know, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel and the, the prophet, you know, sitting in the holy, standing in the holy place, you know." The, and and they just take it away from all of that. They, they they've removed it from that context completely. So you know they they're left because um, of course they also uh, try to escape Matthew uh, Matthew twenty four by saying it's got nothing to do with the church at all. It's all just for for Israel, you know. So they've they've put themselves in a position where they you know, they they basically just ignore all of that and and re- redefine revealing. And there you go. That that's where they're coming from, really. So um, the, when Paul talks about his apocalypse is his revealing, which is the same word that he uses for Christ in his revealing in the same chapter, and it is yes, it's the same Greek word. Yeah, yeah. If you go through the I, chapter two, you'll find a lot of things that the Antichrist is going to reveal and how he does things and and and, and his erge, his power. Very similar words are what. What Paul describes yes. about yeah, you can see it's power. a it's a counterfeit uh, parousia, and the, the very thing that Jesus warned about also in Matthew twenty four, counterfeit Christ, Bingo. he's just the yeah. ultimate one. Yeah. So in those in those theological circles, when Paul says revealing, they mean identifying before the seventh, yes. so we could be raptured. Yes. Yeah. So therefore, That's it. King yeah. Charles has to be the Antichrist. Trump has to be the Antichrist. Anybody has to be the Antichrist because that's the identifying that they're looking for, which is very different yes. than what we've been teaching on or, or what Jacob has been teaching on for some time, which is related to the uh, knowing, you know, identifying 666, knowing about the Antichrist or, you know, the church has to identify before we get raptured, but within the context of what Jesus said and within the context of the abomination uh, of, of desolation. Yeah. Am I understanding that correctly, Andy? Basically, yes. Yeah, th- these things are all connected together. You know, if you notice, like in um, Revelation 12 and 13, where it talks about calculating the number of the beast, it's all linked together with the activities of of, of the dragon and of the beast around the, the midpoint of the 70th week. It's all connected yeah. together. Yeah. You, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't give you any hint in Revelation 13 that you'll be identifying... You know, you'd be calculating the number of the beasts before the seventieth week. I, I just don't think that that's that that's there at all. So I think these pastors and <clears throat> theological guys are going on and saying, "Well, we're putting out the Antichrist, put a lot of material on the Antichrist, and there's a heavy emphasis now on it." And some people have been confused and said, "Why well, are they changing their tune? Are they are they becoming more?" Uh, you, know, you know, more balanced in a sense of like now are they saying that the Antichrist has to come and then we have to identify him? So are they not pre-trib anymore? And the answer is no. They're still holding to the the, the theological presupposition, right, Andy? But they're yeah. just moving. Yes. I hate to say the word because it's going to be misconstrued, but they're moving the goalposts a little bit, as you say, and as I say, and then moving it closer to more of their presuppositions. So it has to happen before yes. any of these events. Uh, that, that, that's quite. Uh, 
quite interesting because somebody can read it and say, oh, look, they're saying what, what other people are saying that are pre-wrath or post-trib. So they, they might Sorry. be like, they might be like us in a sense. They're, they're changing their tune. Maybe they're leaving that theological presupposition. Not really. Is no, it? no, they're not. <laughs> yeah, they're adding another no. layer, probably more yeah. complex layer, because they really have to redefine this. Yes, they've done that. Pre-tribs have done that consistently throughout throughout the history of the doctrine. Um, you know that they they've always when 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 opposition to their when they faced a problem that they can't that they can't deal with by a straightforward reading of the text, they just redefine things. I mean, right. up until about 1937 or something like that, I think. Um, before 1937, you wouldn't have probably you probably wouldn't have caught pre-tribbers claiming that the whole of the 70th week was the um was the day of the lord i don't I mean, they read really, after alexander reese put his book out in the 1930s um you know using second thessalonians uh, and to destroy pre-trib arguments they 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 changed a, they changed some stuff mm. radical changes took place over the you know over the between that and the 1970s They've changed a lot of things. Actually, you can see. I remember that <clears throat> that video, um, uh, seven pre-trip problems, and it showed you how over even over the last twenty years, pre-tribs have altered, have changed, um, and have moved all kinds of stuff around. We've got multiple days of the Lord. I mean, Lee Brainard has three of them. Yeah. Whoa. 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 Yeah, he has three days of the Lord. He has a. Uh, I, I can't remember what he's named them all now, but there's actually three <laughs> because there's the only way he can make it fit his system. <clears throat> I mean, I think Arn, Arnold Fruchtenbaum in Second Thessalonians he, he he posits two revealings of Antichrist. Whoa! One that happens one that happens before the seventieth week and the you know and the, and one that happens somewhere in it. Oh, this is so we can get around the obvious meaning of the text. If if I remember correctly, I, I, it's a while since I've read that, but I'm sure that he's positing two. I think I Tommy Ice positives two two epiphanias of Christ as well. Yeah, you know, uh, it, it's all. Yeah, that is what they. Elon is exactly right. They move the goalposts continually. That was what happened in the aftermath of Reese's book in the uh, pre-war era. That is what they're doing now. Um, <laughs> Since pre-wrath and intraseal, whatever you wish to call it, or the variations, have emerged, they keep getting confronted by the plain exegetical meaning of Second Thessalonians 2. And they've just done what they always done, re-innovate, redefine. The rapture is, uh, the, the apostasy is the rapture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's one of them. You know, another one is now, I, the first person I ever heard to enunciate it was Chuck Missler. That, okay, you have to know who the Antichrist is. It does say that, but that's going to happen before the seven years. You know that? Yes. Yeah. That's. They'll just keep pulling, they'll just keep, again, born of the better colloquialism, moving the goalpost. Yeah. And it's yeah. all arbitrarily, right? There's nothing in the text that would actually point to that. They simply assign it arbitrarily. This has to happen before this, this, this event, the 70th week of Daniel. Yes, more or less. They're trying to find some pretext, some obscure meaning of some word or something like that. Or, uh, but but really speaking, though, they, they've got no explicit statements to base this stuff on. 
That, that, no. That's the problem. They know they've got a problem with that. And uh, and they really hate pre-Roth. They absolutely hate it yep. because then they get very panicky about it because unlike the, the old, the post-tribulational system, you know, which had lots of flaws in it. And, and, and even though the general idea, of course, of Christ, you know, of the rapture occurring after tribulation was correct, there were a lot of flaws in post-trib because it, it suffered um, from all kinds of things. I mean, I can remember I was post-trib for a while after I left pre-trib, and there were, I knew there were inconsistencies within the system. And it was always tripping me up when I was debating with pre-tribs. Uh, but since, you know, but pre-Roth solved so many of those things. I mean, it put, uh, certain scriptures finally clicked together when I became pre-Roth. Oh, that solves that problem and that problem and that problem. And um, and they don't like that because it's much more biblically consistent than post-trib. And, pre, and pre-tribs are having a problem now. Yes. And you can see them panicking and getting desperate, you know, by all the trash they put out about pre-Roth. Yeah, they, know, they and the lies they tell. Yeah, they had this meeting, right? That this was this week in Dallas with the pre-trial yeah. center, and, and I guess yes. uh, wrath was a main topic in that. Apparently, <laughs> yes. I've not I've not looked at all the footage because there's a lot of it. Yeah. And it's only just been put out there. Um, but yeah, Alan Kirshner yeah. of uh, Eschatos Ministries was posting on Twitter. Um, <laughs> pre-trip study. You know, that's quite funny. That. That sounds nice. Is a pre-trip study group live? I mean, that, that, that sounds like really inviting. But I, I guess it was just mainly how to uh, how to destroy, uh, you know, pre-wrath and what they don't like about it and things like that. So uh, again, it's one of those questions. I think uh, uh, just watching some of what the chats are saying. I think there's a lot of questions that people have, and we might have to take this into a separate study at, at another time, where you know, teaching about the return of Christ. Because I think the, it, it says here that. Uh, Andy Woods is really confusing people. You know, they're on our yeah. I'm not surprised people, uh, with some of his rhetoric and some of his terminology. So uh, I guess it's uh, part and parcel of the same thing that's always ha- happened, right? They, they, they redefine terms, they confuse the terms, they make them synonymous, right. and people become confused. Yes, I mean, remember in. Um... And Jacob mentioned this in the, I think, the opening to his book in of uh, Harpazzo, in um, that the, the things had to, he had to lay out a lot of definitions first before he started on the meat of the book because oh, the had to be such a load of confusion book. been so. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, the whole, thing, the whole thing had to be, you know, the first few chapters had to be all yes. about yeah. defining the terms, defining the, the terms, because it's in in the in the popular culture of, of Christianity, these terms have been so confused now nobody really knows yes. what they need. go back to the original kind of part of the translation topic that we had we have to go back to the original yes. met, you know you not know, sued by these translators and use the original text to read uh, to to let them know what they mean you know one of the things that alan kirshner said it says it a lot actually but in um you know he had a d- debate between Himself on Thomas Ice in yes. 2015. Yeah, quite a while ago, yeah. A proper <laughs> academic moderated debate. And he says that's the only time that he can, uh, the, in fact, I think it's probably the only time that has happened between a pre Rother scholar and a pre trib scholar in an academic format yeah. ever since the beginnings of pre Roth. And he said, you know, he's made invitations to pre Roth scholars and teachers. Many, many times he said, and you know, his invitation's always open. And he's also called them about 
call them out about misrepresentation and telling lies about what pre-Rothers actually believe. And it, it, he's never had anyone else since then respond to his debate, his, his, you know, his, his invitation to a debate, and the misrepresentation just goes on. Yeah. You know, they keep telling lies about things. I and that, says, sure that's, that's, that speaks volumes, doesn't it? It is. It is. <clears throat> I wanted to make sure that people know that, Andy, uh, we have some of your teachings on Morial TV answering uh, bad pre-trib arguments and uh, responding. Yes, these are, these are from a, a local leader here who, who basically, I think he reproduces a lot of Arnold Fruchtenbaum's and, Bre- and Lee Brainard's kind of arguments. Yeah, so I've so- answered, you know, I've answered them. I yeah. wanted to invite people to watch them. And are they up on Morial TV yet, or they will be? Oh, they, they will, will be. be. Okay. All right. Praise yeah. God. I'm, so, go- uh, I'm systematically going through his arguments, slow, you know, slowly. Yeah. You you have them, just... right, James? You have them. I do. Yes. Just uh, yeah. need some time to put them up. I'll get them up as <laughs> soon as I can. Yeah. Just uh, um, you know, Jay, we, Jay and I, we I talked about that, and uh, we, we make sure we get them up. But I, I want to invite people to go to the uh, Doctrine Matters. Uh, with the, which is Andy's channel, Doctor Matters. We'll link it to uh, those videos. It's only a small channel, but I mean, if people want, you know, if people get blessed by, by that's great. Yeah. And feel free to copy them and give them away if you want. Download them, copy them, and give them away. You know, that, that's fine. You're, you're not a part of that copyright group, are you, Andy? No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> free, <laughs> no, no. Free to free, you receive, free to give. Free. You know. No, only kidding. But uh, I have shown it to a couple of friends of mine, some church leaders, friends of mine, and uh, they love it. This is very, very well done. And, and they're very systematically going through some of the arguments from Luke 21. Luke, uh, I think Luke, Luke 21 is one of the arguments, Matthew 24, things like that. So I think it would be very good for people. And they're only, you know, they're only 30 minutes long. So, you know. You, yeah, the, the one I did on Matthew 24 was longer. because A little longer, I mean, yeah. That, yeah, but I mean that, that was that was a yeah. I should have split it up really into two. But okay. never mind. See, there'd be no complaints that saying, oh, "I can't watch a video that's two hours long." It's this is thirty minutes. You can watch it. You can have, you can rewatch it in, in about an hour. You can watch yes. it twice. So that would, that would be really good. So all right. Well, uh, this is for catching up. We're going to switch over to backstage, and we've gone a little long today, so we apologize. Wow. It's yeah. Interesting. Very fascinating. <laughs> it's one o'clock in the morning here. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you give some topics, uh, uh, you know, to you guys, and, and and it's it's just it's voluminous and it's wonderful and it's great. So no worry about that. We just want to make sure you're not tired, Andy and Jacob. So we're well, going to. I'll be running out of steam soon. I can tell you. <laughs> I don't well, know if anyone noticed uh, about about maybe about an hour ago. Um, I actually nodded off for a few seconds. You know? Oh no! Don't admit that. You can't admit that. That's that's terrible. No, because it's it's late for me. This you know. Death. No, I'm just kidding. No, it is late. No, so we want just... to go to backstage right away. We have some questions, uh, and uh, we want to make sure that we answer them. So uh, lots of questions, lots of confusions out there, which is one thing we want to uh avoid and we want to answer those questions because we we want people to know the truth god wants you to know the truth jesus wants you to know the truth and this is what we're so committed to so uh we'll be switching over not on youtube not on facebook so jump over if you're there just jump over to rumble morial.tv telegram vimeo um lots of places to go go on there and you'll find us in just a couple of minutes god bless you guys we'll see you briefly very briefly We'd like to remind our regular viewers, please don't watch us on YouTube. Watch us on our own server, moriel.tv, morieltv.org. Watch us on Rumble. 
go to one of the alternative platforms where we will not face these kind of restrictions. We're on YouTube because it's a place to gather people and redirect them to independently managed and operated platforms, such as our own, where they can't restrict us or give us strikes or censor us. So please watch us on Moriel TV, Moriel Rumble, some other platform other than YouTube, if possible. Thank you so much. All right. Well, are we live again? We're backstage, part of the show that we cannot show on YouTube because our tech overlords would actually get upset and ban us and perhaps going into digital tyranny. You think we're not in Ireland at the moment, but uh, that, that that may change, you know, and if the, the uh, Biden administration and the deep state get their way, we might be uh, uh, under some more scrutiny. But anyway, welcome back. And uh, we have Andy, we have Jacob, and we have our Bibles. And it's we have the Lord, most important thing. And we have each other, and we have you who are watching, and we have the questions. So let's get on with the questions. So much confusion and discussion in the chat. This is quite interesting. So uh, we need to answer all these questions. So uh, we'll get ready for this. All right, Jacob, who will the who now have control over the U.S. if the if another emergency is declared? This is, of course, speaking of the uh, pneumonia, the white lung syndrome, and the who very much involved in trying to control again. Will the another emergency lead the who to control the U.S.? What they will attempt to do is what they attempted to do with COVID. They will attempt to bring the United States into a globally orchestrated policy of coping with it the way they did with COVID. <laughs> For legal purposes, it may not be the World Health Organization making the decisions that have legal application in the United States, but you will have policies of the Department of Health, the National Institute of Health, the FDA, the um, CDC will be in broad compliance with what's decided by the WHO. Very good. Any thoughts on that, Andy? I I, I, I know usually we ask the question to Jacob, but jump in anytime if you have any. Uh, uh, okay. Side- <laughs> on that one, I just go with Jacob. Just agree with, with that. All right. What do you guys yeah. think about the Dead Sea Scrolls? good for expansion of what we know in the word of God or leave it all entirely. I know that our Bible is inspired. It's the inspired word of God, but is there more than we can understand in what the Dead Sea Scrolls sense? They are so old as a historical basis only. What do you think, Jacob? The importance of the Dead Sea Scrolls cannot be overemphasized. First of all, there are very strong polemic against liberal higher criticism that's predicated on the Darwinistic presupposition is virtual textual Darwinism, that the text evolved, that the text evolved. Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls mitigates against this, uh, against an evolution of yeah. the text. That's 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 first and foremost, it's, it's, it's a kick in the throat to liberal higher criticism. Um, secondly, particularly if you know how to use it, secondly, they do show the hermeneutic of Second Temple period Judaism. The New Testament handles the Old Testament very much in the character of the way the Dead Sea Scrolls handles the Old Testament. So there's a hermeneutical value in understanding the hermeneutical mindset or the, the interpretative mindset of Scripture in the Second Temple period. Those are the two things that have most concerned me with the Dead Sea Scrolls, but there are certainly other other things as well that are of value. Um, they become very technical. Was the Septuagint copied from earlier Hebrew manuscripts in the Masoretic 
and that the Dead Sea Scrolls help confirm that? Well, that's a very big and a very important question. But of course, if you don't know the original languages reasonably well, it's probably not something you're going to think a lot about. But for people who are literate in, in, in Hebrew and, and, and in Greek, there is a question. Does the Because the New Testament, when it quotes the Old, probably 85% of the time follows the Septuagint, does the Septuagint translate older manuscripts of the Old Testament than the Masoretic? That is another another important area of argumentation, yeah. albeit a scholarly one. <laughs> so these are the issues. Um, but I believe that the Dead Sea Scrolls are the archaeological discovery of the 20th century. Amen. Amen. Yeah. What do you think, yes. Gabby? And you don't live too far. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm broadly, yeah, I mean, Jake was spot on there. But, oh, and also, um, another thing that um, I was going to say now, it's just gone from my head. Um, yeah, in many ways, also the the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, valid because you, you get sometimes in the New Testament you get um, quotes from the uh, the Old Testament that, that they they don't agree with the Masoretic, but they agree with often with the Dead yes. Sea Scrolls renderings or the Septuagint. So uh, it was it was a good <clears throat> the Dead Sea Scrolls are a good argument against those people who say that you know uh, the, the the writers in the New Testament misquoted the old testament you know or, or perverted it in some way and of course when you when you when the dead sea scrolls came out you saw absolutely that they didn't at all they just use a, a different recension of the hebrew text that's right Very in good. some Very cases good. <clears throat> Very good stuff. Um, yeah. uh, so yes the answer is uh very very important and uh, so we can learn much about our, our Bible through the Dead Sea Scrolls and what it means, uh, especially fighting against uh, uh, you know, liberal liberal scholars and liberal theology. So, Jacob, next question. Will Hunter go to jail? Any opinions on this? I don't know. One of the disappointments I had about um, Mr. Trump was he appointed the district attorney, the U.S. attorney, rather, in, in Delaware, who was took the slap on the wrist approach to the Biden crime family. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't really know. It's an open question, but an educated guess would be if the Democrats win the election, particularly there'll be some kind of a plea bargain that will not see a custodial sentence. That mm. is the likelihood, but time will tell. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you think the recent floods in Saudi Arabia and the invasion of Mecca by swarms of locusts are connected with the Islamic war against Israel? Is this God's judgment? I see it as part of God's overall judgment on Islam. Um, Saudi Arabians have been um, pro-Fatah more than pro-Hamas. Hmm. So I would not directly associate it with what's happening now in Gaza, but I do see it associated with what's happening with the House of Saud. The House of Saud, and even the, the changes we hoped for with uh, Mohammed ben Salman, ha, have not been forthcoming. He's gone into a Chinese broker rapprochement with Iran. He's yep. make, making moves away from the, from the petrodollar. And, he, and he, he's purely a political animal. The House of Saud continues to fund Sharia, and proponents of Sharia globally, including in the West. So the appearance of locusts and the appearance of these disasters, 
I would say they're more than coincidental, but I would not associate it as a cause and effect judgment on Saudi Arabia because of what's happening in Gaza. Yeah, very good. Any thoughts on that, Andy? Uh, no, I haven't got any thoughts on that. Right, <laughs> so, yeah. My brain's is, starting to grind to a halt now. Actually, oh, we gotta get, we gotta get through. All right, let's do it. If Trump is reelected, will Christian nationalism cause terminal chaos in the U.S.? This has to be related man. to the NAR. Jacob, what do you think? No, but the mainstream media and social media will attempt to portray it that way. Yeah. That's interesting. The NAR is very big on this here in the United States, so they'll be the tycoon in Israel. I'll bet they are, yeah. Very, very big on this, and you'll see it more. Um, and this is why I wanted uh, Ken to talk about more of the NAR issues, you know, on Ken's corner, because he, he knows it quite well. And, and Andy, you know quite well the tycoon stuff. This is going to be huge here in the States because Christian nationalism, under that label, it's really just rife with NAR teaching, NAR yes. science funders. Yes. Um, false prophecies and, and and boy if trump wins or he runs again they're going to be this like oh i told you so the, you know the prophecies of uh you know all these other guys that, that have gone down into the yes. but anyway it's gonna it's it's gonna make a bit of chaotic things so next question when jesus returns and the church meets him in the air is it visible to the unbelieving world every eye will see him then he returns again three and a half years later so he returns twice question what? mark this is the question. I think this is the confusion. The, uh, uh, the rapture is only secret in that we don't know the day or the hour. But when, it happens, yeah. when it happens, it's not going to be a secret. I think pre-tribs get this idea because they've been told that there are two physical comings separated by seven years. Right. And that's leaked over into the way that they're looking at, you know, the, the subject. But that was, um, but the, 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 you know, the, but the, the, the more, but I think, correct way to look of it is to look at the parousia as a container word for a lot of sub-events that are happening within that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a very good point and, and, and absolutely right. It's like an umbrella, everything under that umbrella. Yes, it's an umbrella. To, yeah. And uh, because I think this is where the, within pre-tribulation, they, 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 they talk about it like two comings, you know, first come. Yeah, first, uh, and some, some actually first. say specifically he yeah. comes twice. He comes yeah. first, he comes for all his saints, then he comes with his saints with seven his years later. Right. Yeah, and I mean. I that reaction, the post-tribulationism, uh, that's what they say that he comes at the end because there's only one coming, so he's got to come yes. for yes. the church at the same time he comes to the earth. And yes, so this is where. But yeah, yes. Go ahead, Andy. Go ahead. Yeah. Therefore, they, they no, no, no. rapture. Therefore, they need to seek the rapture because right. yes. <laughs> so the rapture yes. is secret. Right, exactly. Yeah, and it's so secret; it's not even mentioned in scripture. That's the thing about <laughs> the secret rapture theory, you know. Secret action theory. All right, so hopefully that helps. And 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 Jacob, there's a lot of confusion uh, as you mentioned, or as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, due to the woods thing. Even in our chat, the the you know within Moriel, 
Uh, yes. Those memorial teaching, there is confusion there. So um, just keep that in mind as, as we go forward. Uh, that there needs to be a very, you know, not only a refutation, but a clarification uh, of some. Oh, and, uh, another thing about that, you know, the, uh, it was an, there was a there's something that was in that question, an assumption that was incorrect. I think did they did they ask, you know, does he come gather the saints and then come again three and a half years later? Is that yeah, what they, they actually they, asked? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. that in itself is incorrect because you know um, the the parousia begins at some point between after the midpoint of the 70th week and before the before probably before the end of it because you've got um first of all we don't know the day or the hour of, of right. Yeshua's parousia when he appears in the clouds but we do know that it's got to be at least five months before the end of the 70th week because of the locust yeah, plague right. judgment of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. of chapter nine of revelation so the fifth trumpet so yeah. Some point, some unknown point between the midpoint and that other point where the <clears throat> the um the the uh, fifth trumpet judgment yeah. begins. That's right. All right. Question for Jacob: Has he heard the theory that Jesus will return first to Mount Sinai, then to Jerusalem to stand on the Mount of Olives and destroy Antichrist and his armies? That is an obscure point of view, not widely held by any major school of eschatological thought. There is a view that he will return via Mount Sa'ir, for which there is a biblical argument. But yeah, that's that is not yeah. Mount Sinai <laughs> is void of any textual support. Okay, very good. Uh, any recent news on the work Moriel is doing with mission giving in Israel? Yes, we have, well, we have, by the goodness of God and the generosity of his people, built up quite a fund to help soldiers. The money has already begun to be transferred. Um, the issue is because there is a substantial amount of money, it's problematic to send it all at once. So we're sending yeah. it to the main ministry that helps soldiers. It's, it's a ministry of believers in Israel that helps believing soldiers. However, the assistance is not just going to believing soldiers. We've, independent of that, sent things to believers in reserve and active units of the military who are sharing the things we're sending, um, socks, footwear, things like that. These are from Christians in America and, and Britain and Australia who are praying for Israel and praying for the Jewish people at this time. Yes. And yeah. believers in these units are giving it to their comrades in arms, which is a wonderful testimony. They see the whole world's against Israel and condemning Israel, yet there are these Christians who are praying for us and who are supporting us and standing by us and who love us. That is a very, very good testimony. And it also enhances the testimony of believers in the military, in the IDF. Yeah. So There's quite a bit of them uh, growing. growing. Uh, Jacob, do you believe that there's a spirit on the back of the outrageous increase in anti-Semitism currently happening? Yes, of course. It's well, anti-Semitism was going to increase before the Lord returns anyway, and that's very much in harmony with what we're seeing, and it will continue to increase before he comes. All right. Uh Michael Brown. Well, we get a Michael Brown question. All right. Uh, All right here we go. Michael Brown says first Thessalonians chapter four and second Thessalonians chapter two are the same event because of the word parousia or coming are used in these passages. Thus, he says the rapture and the second coming are the same event. 
Michael Brown, Michael Brown is not pre-trip. To his credit, he's post-trip he, actually. He's a post Yeah, he's post-trip. Yeah, he's not pre-trip. Um, <clears throat> let me preface my response, and then I'll defer to to Elon to Andy. Michael Brown is a tragic figure because, unlike some of these people who are basically biblically ignorant, he is not. He has an earned PhD in Hebrew from New York University. He uh, yeah. was trained by scholars like uh, some of them are on the Dead Sea Scrolls Commission, the professor of, uh, I forget his name, Fried from NYU, um, Friedman. Um, so he's not a dope, but he is a proven false prophet. He's an apologist for error and deception, like in Pensacola. Yeah. He's a friend yeah. of the NAR, no matter what he says. He spoke at Bethel, calling these deceivers his brethren. Michael Brown is doubly culpable because unlike some of these people, like Francis Chan yeah. is a nobody. He's just an ignorant man. J.D. Farrig is a known, he's an ignorant man. Michael Brown is not an ignorant man. He knows better. He has a higher degree of culpability. The tragedy of Michael Brown, if he stuck to what God told him to do, Messianic apologetics, debating rabbis, Jewish evangelism. If he stuck to his own groove, God would have used him tremendously. As it is, the devil uses him tremendously. That's not to say he doesn't say true things. It's not to say I don't agree with him on some things. But he's a tragic figure. He, I call him the fireman. Mm -hmm. You can look at the video of him pushing people over, yelling fire, fire, fire. It is... He's, he's, he wrote a good book on anti-Semitism in the church, and then he wrote a terrible yeah. book defending <laughs> Pensacola, counterfeit revival. Um, he, he's a tragic figure. He could have been something and someone really, really good. He had the potential. And instead, he did what he did. Yeah, yes. He's a very dangerous man, Michael Brown, because um, he, he has the trappings of orthodoxy wrapped around him, but he supports the worst kind of false prophets, and even I though he's he's he one, and he yes, one. he speaks out against he speaks out against error, but you'll never actually name anyone who's a false prophet, yeah. you know. And he, uh, I mean, anyone who says Kenneth Copeland is our brother in the Lord, you know, and, <clears throat> and we shouldn't condemn him, <clears throat> you know, there's something very seriously wrong. Michael Brown willfully chooses. Um, to to support error and false teachers, he willfully chooses it, and as Jacob says, that's just absolutely terrible. It, it makes him far more culpable. He's far more dangerous. Back to the question, because I want to make sure we get the question right. Yes, Michael Brown is all that, and 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 will be the first ones to point out the fact that he is in major serious compromise, error, false teaching, etc. Is he right about this text, Jacob? First Thessalonians four, Second Thessalonians two. Okay. Broadly speaking, First and Second Thessalonians are speaking of the same events from different aspects. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, he yeah. says the rapture and the second coming are the same event. The the, the yeah the, the the rapture isn't the second coming, but it's part of it. It's a, one of those sub events. Yeah, one of yeah. the very first things that happens at the commencement of the parousia yes. is that you, you, the Lord takes his you know, gather his elect, you know, to to keep them, you know, to, to basically, the Lord will take his elect away from, you know, the, the source of their persecution. In other words, that's, that's what it means by cutting, the cutting short of the days. The Lord yes. comes in and intervenes, 
and takes them them out them out and thus ending the tribulation of the saints. But and it's the very first event of the parousia, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the other key, but, key is not just parousia; it's the phase of the parousia, the episunagage. Yes. Yes. Together. Correct. Yes. That's that's yeah. It's very near concurrence of the rapture and resurrection. Yep. So yes, yeah. it's part of the parousia, uh, but it's not the terrestrial event that most people consider his coming. So uh, we were just yes, afraid. it's part of it. Yes, it's one of the opening phases of it. Before, and of course, immediately after the, the saints have been gathered, then the day of the Lord wrath begins, as, right. as the Lord tells us in Luke and and Matthew. Yeah, very good. Because we know, do, as it was in the days of Lot, you know. Yeah, we do mm. believe in two comings: his first coming and his second coming. And we also yes. believe, in the doctor, which is part of the parousia, but it's not the terrestrial event. And I think just 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 to summarize it that way, uh, he's yes. I guess Jacob, it's in a sense of he's writing what he says about this, but not what he denies. Uh, have you noticed the deafening silence? Have you noticed the deafening silence of the Calvinistic Reformed churches? Concerning the Hamas horrific attack on Israel, I've listened to one of them, which is replacement theology, and what they were saying was virtually anti-Semitic. Mm. I'm not saying all Calvinists are that. Yeah. There are some who are. Yeah, it comes with it, doesn't it? It comes with it. As soon as you step into that in, into that puddle, it comes with it. Andy, have you have you heard anything about that? Not a lot, to be honest. No, I've not been following. Too much what the Calvinists have been saying, or some Calvinists have been saying. Um, it's not, it's not, it's not called my Twitter feed anyway. My interests are not all, you know. I can't follow everything that goes on. Yeah, no, um, I'm not surprised to find out this though. I'm not surprised yeah. at all. Yeah, the Calvinistic denomination Satan is using the most in the Western world, probably at the present time, is the Presbyterian Church of America (PCA). Right. What does Jacob say about Candace Owens and her spat with Ben Shapiro? I wish that they would not drag their dirty laundry and fighting with each other. They should yeah. have that privately and not in the public eye. It was mm. destructive to the common interest of both of them and to the common cause of all of us. I wish they did not do it. They should not have. I've seen other such things. For instance, the debate between Dr. David Wood and Dr. J. Smith, both of whom I hold in high regard, but they had a an academic dispute over the origins of Muhammad. Did he really exist as such? Now, I'm not saying that shouldn't have been debated, but it should not have been debated on YouTube. It should not be something that the Muslims could look at it and say, look, these Christian apologists to the Muslims don't even agree with each other. You don't hang... If there's a false teacher or a false prophet like Kenneth Copeland or something, you need to say, look, he's not one of us. Jesus warned about him. We yes. need to publicly distance ourselves from people like that in the eyes of the secular world. They heard our testimony. But when you have two believers disagreeing, it's something else. Well, I would take that same principle into the political realm. I think what Ben Shapiro, first of all, I think it was a storm in a teacup. It was something stupid to argue about. They could have agreed to disagree. But even if they weren't going to agree to disagree, they have made the mud storm they did and showing that kind of disunity among people who are in general broadly ideologically akin to each other in the face of the common woke agenda, etc. I think it was counterproductive. 
very yeah. counterproductive. They shouldn't have done it. No, I agree. And it was about Israel. It was about uh, you know aid to Israel, mm. support Israel, and, and 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 things like that. So anyway, uh, I think we have. Oh, there is a, one more question. Can someone like Gino Jennings? Well, I don't know who he is, mm. but uh, Gino Jennings does not believe the Trinity, and who also speaks strongly against it. Can he be a Christian? No, if somebody denies the triunity no. of the God, they're either a new believer who's ignorant, who needs to be corrected, and if they really are believers, the Holy Spirit will show them that God is triune, or they're a false brother, false sister. You cannot deny the triunity of the Godhead <clears throat> and be, a, be a, a, a Christian in the, by biblical definition. That's my view. Very, very good. Uh, any thoughts on that, Andy? What would you guys say? Well, uh... I would I would agree with Jacob, but also I would say if someone is anti-Trinitarian, usually you'll find some other false doctrines as well. Correct. The, that thing doesn't normally go on its own. Correct. You know. Yeah, especially, yeah, Jacob's 100% right. It, 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 sometimes a new believer may be confused uh, with, with that particular doctrine if he's a brand new believer and don't exactly know what to believe. But usually if they're going to go on into sound doctrine and and, and, and and discipleship, they usually get it right. They usually began to get yeah. it right. Oh, yes, I can see that that's what the Bible says. But Andy's right, too. When they become anti, there's Yes, some, that's some the thing. Not just wrong. ignorant, but against. Yeah, yeah that's the difference. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. That's all the questions we're going to be able to do today because we're running out of time. It's already kind of late. We want to. It's already sun, uh, Saturday for Andy and close to being Saturday for Jacob. So we're going to close it out right there. Thank you so much for watching. Jacob Prash, final thoughts on Very September 8th. When you see Harris and the Biden administration bringing visa restrictions on Jews who live in the West Bank, uh, who they will decide engaged in some kind of violence... It's a it is a very complicated environment when when Arabs are threatening you when they're throwing stones at your cars every day mm. and and so forth and they're coming down plainly on the side of radical Islam. Um, this is the Biden administration. Do not think that they are friends of the Jews or of Israel or of Christians. They're not. Um, they may because it's an election year. They have to walk a political tightrope, but do not be taken in by them. Please pray that the judgment of God will not come on America because of Biden. Pray that it will rather come upon Biden and Harris and their administration. Um, that is my urge for for prayer concerning the present the development of events that are taking place in the Middle East this week. Um, but I would again ask people to remember Hatuntash and to remember the work of Moriel in India in your prayers. It would mean a great deal to us. Thank you so much for joining us. Davey, did we uh, did we get an update on that? Um, how to, Natasha, I think you sent me something, didn't you? That uh, she it, was... Uh, oh, Jay found out it, she live-streamed on YouTube last night. Oh, not YouTube, Facebook. Facebook, Facebook. yes. Oh, good. good. All right, how to, Natasha, live-stream on Facebook yesterday, Jacob. She is, she is well. I didn't see it this morning. Okay, I'll look for it. I'll send it to you, Jacob. Okay, send right. it to me, please. Very good. Andy, uh, how did people get a hold of your material? How do people get a hold of you? How, how can they pray for you? Just, <laughs> no, I mean, um, yeah, they can. I have um, a small uh, a YouTube channel, which is I'm trying to grow. I'm on Twitter as well, actually. Um, 
under the same name more or less um, and um, I have a small rumble channel as well with the same videos on so um, I can uh, maybe if I could send the links to Jay yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just just, uh, just mention up. it. We're, we're going to put the link. Just mention it so while we're on the air, you can mention it. And uh, it, well, I'll, I'll say it. Doctrine Matters. Doctrine Matters. And it's, yeah, it's called uh, Because Doctrine Matters, actually. I, yeah. I think that's what I called it because uh, the name had already been used on YouTube. Yeah. I'll just I can find the channel yeah. now. And then you're but also stuff on all over the place. Yeah, so yeah, on uh, Twitter under I think under the same name I think. Yeah, um, Doctor Matters, absolutely. So if you yes. want to get a hold of Andy, good stuff. Right yeah, if anyone wants to contact me on Twitter, they can do. Yeah, um, don't harass him. Just don't harass. No, I'm just kidding. No, but no. Uh, you can send him good, good encouragement. That's what the block button is for. Yeah, <laughs> good encouragement. You, know, you are in Israel. We need to pray for you and your wife because uh, they, they, yes. you know, live up in the north. So uh, <clears> there's constant uh, alert and warnings. Uh, especially from the north, so we need to pray for you and uh, and encourage yeah, you. This 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 war could get worse. We don't know for sure, but I mean, um, um, cause, I mean, I think once they're finished with Hamas, uh, they're, they're going to have to do something with the Hezbollah. I think. All right. Well, no, later. Range of Hezbollah. Yep, that's the next step. So anyway, God bless you guys. Thank <clears throat> you, Andy. Thank you for staying up with us, Jacob. Thank you for staying up with us, Davy. Good morning. I hope you have a good Saturday, and, uh, and Jay, we'll finish today. Uh, hey, Jay, did you fall asleep at one point? Because you were like this, and I thought, I'm sure he's gone to sleep. No, he's, 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 he's working or praying for you, so anyway. no, <laughs> <laughs> Praying for you. <laughs> God bless you, Jay. Just finish our Friday night. And uh, for those who stayed up with us, every blessing to you and Jesus. Thank you for staying up with us. Those are on the chat. We welcome your comments so much. They mean so much to us. Your questions, your encouragement, your prayers. Pray for Jacob Prash. Pray for Memorial Ministry. Pray for our church, ccod.org. Pray for Hatun Tash. Pray for the church in, in India. So much to pray for. There's a lot of work to be done. But most importantly, preach the gospel of the kingdom. Preach Amen. The Amen. God bless you guys. I'm into that, yes.